I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Conversation you can join. But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks. And some of my opinions you just can't fix. Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky. I'ma shake my fist at the clouds and cry. Get up my lonely snowflake before I have a meltdown, breakdown, shakedown. So back down, sports clown. It's all just a game, and it's a last down, let down, cow town. I said it's all just a game. I give the touchdown, the rundown, the lowdown, cause it's over the game. Gonna crack down, the shut down, the sundown. I said, uh, I said, uh, I said it's all just a game. Happy Friday to you, kids. It's just a game as the theme says it. I love that song, by the way. Get off my lawn, you snowflake. Uh, I would be me. You would be you. Uh, Thank you for coming. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, If it's live, hello right now. If it's a podcast a little later, hello then. Um, We got a a good show for you today. A great show. We got the show for you today. This is the one, if, if you're just joining us for the first time, this is the podcast to hear. Um... We got a lot to cover. Uh, Vicki Hall is going to join us live in the Oodle Noodle studio in hour number two. Uh, Dear friend, uh, but more importantly than that, we are going to celebrate the fact that she is going into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame and become, in the media section, it becomes the first woman to be honored by the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, which is not new territory for Vicki. We will get into that with her. Uh, In just a couple of minutes, Our our, our, speaking of dear friends, Eric DeHatchik from The Athletic will join us. So much to talk about with Eric. Um... A couple things. Uh, dysfunction on display. Uh, that seems to be the theme. Uh, the Flames losing a critical game at home 3-2 to Vegas last night, a game in which they chased most of it. Um, very quiet building until t- towards the end. Um, 
I thought Jacob Markstrom gave you a quality start. Your inability to score based on your shot production remains a bit of an issue, but controversy abounds uh, towards the end of the game down by a goal. The goalie comes out and Daryl Sutter has his fourth line on the ice. Uh, later, and Daryl did talk about this today, so credit the uh, the reporters at practice. They, they have been uh, explaining this, that he felt they were getting uh, killed in the face-off circle. So uh, people wondering why no Jonathan Huberto out there late in the game, but he, he said that he had, well, he didn't say, he, well, he did say it, but he, he, he had two centermen. He had Backlund and, and Lindholm out there. Uh, but it rem- it, there's no doubt there remains a, a, some sort of disconnect here between the club, the coach, the general manager, the owner. All It's just it's not firing on all cylinders. 27th one-goal uh, loss of the year. 27th. Uh, they play San Jose tomorrow. Um, somebody smarter than me has calculated their playoff chances at 6%. Okay. Uh, we'll get, we might get into this a little later on, but there, there was a, a moment in time in that third period in which they were down 2-1, and then uh, Roy, who got the go-ahead goal for um, Vegas, stuck his arm in, definitely was a hold on Rasmus Anderson. And this is not an attempt to complain that there was a, a non-call, but it got me thinking about, do you earn those? Do you, do you get those? Do you get the benefit? Or do you kind of eliminate those opportunities by yapping too much? And that's one thing. I have not been in the building a lot at all this year. Um, one of the things that you don't see watching on television is things that happen between whistles. I don't know if this is a Flames team that is uh, a pain in the ass to work with if you're an official. If they're always in your ear, if they're always complaining, if they're always after you, after a while that stuff can start to drag on you. Two goals last night that were waved off, I think we would all make um, arguments that they were the right calls. I don't, I don't think that was it. And then that call, but no break, no break in there. Um, do you earn your breaks? Do you deserve your breaks? Do you get breaks? There's always that conversation of luck, and I think sometimes you create your own luck. Um, the NHL has created a quagmire. Uh, they have another team uh, that refuses to participate in in their pride event by wearing their pride jerseys. Uh, last night in Florida, the Panthers wore theirs, but the two Stahl brothers sat that one out. Um, Want to show you one? That this was interesting. That not only the Sauls, you know, and, and they explained why, but they said they weren't going to talk about it. Eric Stahl was asked after the game, and he said he's never worn a pride jersey. This picture begs to differ, um, as that was uh, Mr. Stahl when he was with Montreal wearing a pride jersey. Um, the, the gate's open. The, there's now cover for the cowards. There's now cover for those who, who, who want to, you know, point at religion or point at whatever reason. But basically, they don't want to participate and support a group. This again, we keep saying this. Go back to the Bain Pettinger interview from uh, the CAA uh, representative, player agent, but also from the Alphabet Sports uh, uh, Collective. Uh, he talked about it as a as a gay man. What is the the Pride Night is now becoming more of a hindrance than anything. Um, I, I'll I'll do one negative and I'll do one positive. Then I'm going to get to Eric. Here's my negative. Where the hell is the National Hockey League in all of this? Where? I'll tell you what's going to happen. There will not be Pride Games next year because the NHL will not allow themselves to go through this and, and, and not. You have to show a bit of a spine right now, and the NHL uh, is not showing one as a collective league. Again, take the lead from Brian Burke. This is not a recruitment tool. This is just allowing, and it's particularly nauseating to me 
because I think there's young kids out there who are struggling in their teenage years and looking for somebody, something to grasp onto as they deal with their true selves. And then they see this and, and now the Eric Stahl, wow, you know, for religious reasons, we have more, well, you have. Um, and I think there's been some really compelling cases that um, I have Mormon family. I've gone to their house for dinner. I have said grace with them prior to dinner. I did not have a Coke Zero because they don't believe in that and they don't have that. But guess what? I didn't drink it because it wasn't there. I had fun. I, I participated in, the, in their grace when they said it. But it wasn't a recruitment thing. It was me respecting them. I, again, I don't want to go too far down this path. Uh, where's Gary Bettman? Where's Kim Davis in this? Where's Kim Davis in this? I've seen a lot of Kim Davis on magazine covers. I've seen a lot of articles about Kim Davis. This falls right under, as vice president, this falls right under her privy in the National Hockey League. Okay, that's the bad. Here's the good. Uh, he used to be here for most of his career, but he's now in Florida. Here's Matthew Kachuk after the game last night. For me, like, really is just all about including everybody. And, like, it's, it's to my, in my opinion, it's by far the greatest game in the world. And everybody's welcome in my locker room. And, and uh, you know, in our locker room as an organization, I think our organization's done an unbelievable job of, of showing that and embracing that. And, um, starting from Vinny all the way down to the players. So um, continuing the tradition every year and showing each and every day that hockey is for every single person. We welcome everybody. That is how you lead. That is a leader. We are broadcasting today live from Treaty 7 territory. And this program, of course, goes without saying, is, welc- is welcoming to all and it's you know, inclusive for everybody. Everybody's welcome here. Uh, including our uh, dear friend from The Athletic, Eric Dehachuk is kind enough to join us here on a Friday. Mr. Dehachuk, how are you, sir? I'm okay. How about you? Well, you know, we'll get a little ticked <laughs> off to start the program, a little fired up. The, the local heroes have a little controversy. Well, the league has a little controversy. It's never dull in the old National Hockey League in these parts. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny you should mention that because, uh, you know, like our lives are governed by the, you know, the, the timetable of the National Hockey League. And you always hope, once you get past the trade deadline and before you get into that week to 10 days before the, the playoffs, when you're, when you're, you know, getting your previews done and, and so on and so forth, that there is a little bit of a lull there. So you can kind of, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, not have the foot on the, on the, on the gas pedal as much as, as, as you do the, the, the rest of the season. But as you say, it's, it's, uh, it's never dull. And uh, yeah. And I, you know, I took in the, the flames game on, uh, on Tuesday night mm-hmm. and uh you know, it, what a Jekyll and Hyde group, because that night they looked really good. And, uh, you know, they um, they beat a, 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 a top goaltender. Like, you know, to me, one of the most underrated goaltending seasons that we've seen this year is yeah. from John Gibson in Anaheim, because he's just he's just been exceptional. I know he stole a game against the Flames earlier in the season, but that has happened time and time again. When Gibson brings his level up to what it can be, he's, you know, top five in the game for mm-hmm. sure. So. You know, afterwards, I, you know, tried to engage Daryl Sutter a little bit about, you know, could this get the ball rolling? And 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 you never had the, like, no one wanted to, to commit to that. No one wanted to commit to, you know, at some point, it has to start somewhere. Yeah. And, and it, it could have started, it could have started in, with the win on Tuesday. And then, you know, last night, there's a, you know, essentially a four-point swing. Winnipeg comes into Anaheim and squeaks went out. They didn't look great. 
but it looks like now they've created enough of a cushion between themselves and, and the Flames yep. with you know games running out and Winnipeg having the tiebreaker that it really feels as if this you know last night is the end and that now from here on in uh, it's just a matter of, of what, what do you accomplish in these in these final three weeks of, of the season and then how do you sort out what went wrong and and how do you fix it and and i have to tell you that you know that that's going to involve a lot more organizational soul searching than they've had in a long time when you think about how complicated last summer was yep. with the Gaudreau negotiations going down the wires and the notification from kachuk that he wanted to leave and then then how they moved the personnel around and and you know got it to the point where going into the season i mean i looked this up yesterday you know uh, they were the fourth betting choice for the stanley mm -hmm. cup on october the 6th and and I and and I don't bet, but but I do like the odds, you know, that the bookmakers set because they strip out all the emotion. They yep. they only care where the money is coming in, and and so um, so the, to me that that's real. That's not you know yep. uh, you know people who are you know follow a team and are, and are hoping for the best for the team that they cover. That that's that, that's a completely separate entity saying that in their minds, you know, Calgary has the same had the same odds going into the season to win the Stanley Cup as the the Bay Lightning. So fast forward to today, and what happened? What mm. happened? And 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 you know what what I saw when I last saw them firsthand is a team that that that's just that's just a little out of sync everywhere. Yep. And all you have to all you have to be is a little out of sync everywhere to have the kind of year that the Flames have. You know, one night the goaltending isn't what it, what it should be. The next night the goaltending is is pretty good, but. You, you hit too many goalposts. The, the, the next night after that, their special teams are better than your special teams. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it, we always want to seize on one reason why mm -hmm. it's going south. And, and and it would be so easy to solve, I think, if, if there was just one reason. But here, I think you've got multiple reasons. You know, the best players haven't been the best players. It's a cliche that is true. If, if you, you know, you, you win championships when you're, your McKinnons and McCars play at the level that they can play when your Hedmans and Kucherovs play at the level you can play. And when, when those players are worn down or injured or, or whatever, all of a sudden, you know, you come back to the pack and you're just another NHL team. So, you know, the flames haven't had that from their best players. Their goaltending hasn't been very good. The special teams have been okay. You know, they, they they've pretty much been a break even factor. I, I think that, you know, they need to be better in, in, in this organization in order to, to win because the whole philosophy yeah. that Daryl Sutter has always embodied is, you know, you know, play hard five on five and then get that one extra goal uh, that that wins you the game on on special teams. So it's going to be very interesting to see when all is said and done. There'll be you know the 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 usual exit interviews, and everyone will be you know uh, trying to offer explanations. But I think mostly everybody just needs to go home and reset and and think about how they can be better next year. Because whereas two years ago we saw the best of most of these players, this year we've seen. If not the worst, then 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 nowhere near the best. And they just have to find a way of of collectively and individually being better than they've been. So you say it's not one thing; it's a bunch of things. But it's everything. But yeah. but could it all boil down to and and I'm 
very respectful of the fact that I have not been in the room, and I am basing this off of comments that have been made by the likes of Elliot Friedman and Chris Johnston and other people who have pointed inside the locker room, is there any chance that this is harmony, that this is a team with no chemistry, this is a team that just doesn't like playing for the coach and the coach just doesn't like the players at this point? Yeah, I think that absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've, I've known Daryl Sutter forever and, uh, and, and he has, he, he stubbornly believes in, in a certain number of principles mm-hmm. as they relate to, uh, to, to how to run a hockey team. And, and they are, they tend to be like, you know, he's, he's aware of analytics, you know, he's been adaptive to, to some of the changes in the game, but fundamentally he believes in pushing, pushing, pushing. And I think it's a, a philosophy inherited when, when he started working with uh, Mike Keenan in Chicago and, and, you know, Mike Keenan learned that from, from Scotty Bowman and it has been a tactic that has worked successfully yep. for all of those coaches and, and for Daryl. I mean, yep. he's one of the highest, you know, in terms of, of coaching wins in a career, he, he is top 10, but I do think that fundamentally not only has the game changed, but the type of player coming into the national hockey league has changed. And, and there was a time, so, you know, I go back to Bob Johnson. So one of the very first coaches that I ever covered, and I remember having a, a conversation about him, about motivation mm-hmm. and the way he framed it in, in the old days was there's, there's two ways to coach. And remember, this is like 1983, 1984. He said, there's coaching from the point of fear yep. and there is coaching from the point of pride. And he cited Scotty Bowman uh, as an example of a coach that the coach from the point of fear. And he said, it's, it's fear of, of having your ice time reduced fear of being in the press box, fear of being put in the minors. And in those days, Scotty was running a very deep Canadians team and he could take some, anybody out of the lineup and replace them with somebody that was just as good and, and win every night. And, and then he said, and then there's, there's the point of coaching from the point of pride where you try to instill pride in a group. Um, you, you instruct, you teach, you try to make everybody better. And, and you basically, you know, make a pact with the player that, you know, if you follow my direction, I'm going to make you a better player that will help us collectively win. You will play longer in the National Hockey League. You will make more money. This, this is, is the path to, to take. And then you, you look around the National Hockey League today and, and you still see you know, a handful of coaches you know the the opposite. To, you know Bruce Cassidy uh, on the Vegas bench, I think, falls into that old school category as mm-hmm. well. And then you have you have coaches that 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 adopt a different philosophy. So they're and and both have both work. That's the thing. Yep. Both work. Yeah. You know, each has had its level of success. And um, but uh, but I think that that if you coach from the former point of view, that you know from the point of fear or or pushing, 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 or, or just, you know, just, you know, driving that, you know, that doesn't last as long as coaching from the, the point of pride. Eventually every coach's voice, you know, starts to fall on, on deaf ears. Even the best coaches realize that and understand that. So, yep. so that's what, it, what, what it's felt like in, in, in Calgary that last year, um, you know, Daryl came in and, and everybody um, played, you know, uh, and responded to, to his voice. And it looks to me as if, you know, the response that was there last year is not there this year. And, and partly it's because, you know, there have been, you know, changes in, in, in personnel. And so, you know, someone like Johnny Gaudreau, who has had lots of successes with coaches that, that pushed hard is out of the, the dressing room and Jonathan Huberto comes in and, and he looks to me like a guy that, that, you know, responds to the carrot. not mm-hmm. the stick. Yep. And so, um, you know, so either, 
you know, the, the players have to be adaptive because if they bring Daryl Sutter back next year, which which I think is going to happen, um, then 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 you have to come to terms with, you know, this is who I'm working for. This is the the environment that we work in. And, and let's find a way of, of, of making it work. Can that happen in this day and age? I think it happened previously, but we're yeah. we're in a different society now, right? Like yep. players, you know, the old adage, well, run through the wall. Now they want you to tell them what's in it for them when they run through the wall. They have an agent like a, a Walsh, an Alan Walsh, that will come out and do defend them. Can Can there be that kind of change, you know, so that you don't have to... It seems to me that if you if Daryl goes, that would be the sixth coach in uh, since 2013 or something yeah. like that. Sure. Uh, yeah, and and the answer is I don't know. Okay. Because uh, because what a lot of times what happens is that that uh, if you brought in a coach that that had a similar philosophy but was just a different coach. There is a honeymoon period in, in, with every team, mm-hmm. and and so that philosophy might work if it's a different coach. But but if it's the same coach, um, it, it it's it's very challenging. It's, it's very challenging. You know, when I think about coaching this year, that I, I thought that um, that the one curious part of it was if if you look at Vegas, Dallas, and Boston, essentially they they traded their coaches, right? Yep. That was always something that we used to we used to joke about in the old days and, and even write about occasionally when we wanted to get out on a on a weird soap opera, that there should be an ability to trade coaches back and forth between teams because often it, you know, it's like they're, they're all, you know, anybody that coaches the National Hockey League level is a good coach because to get to the National Hockey League level, you have had to show right. your coaching chops at, at, at a lower level. So let, if, if the starting point is everybody that's in the NHL can coach, why is it that some are more uh, effective than others? And, and why is it that, you know, eventually even the best coaches like, you know, I think about Barry Trotz, you know, they they they, they just need to to go someplace else and so the the solution should be you know i'll trade my guy for yours and that's what happened right so you know jim montgomery uh you know goes into into boston and he's the complete opposite in terms of personality and and approach to uh to to bruce cassidy um you know vegas felt that they needed a a, you know um a firmer hand on 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 Mm -hmm. the tiller to try and and get things back on track and that's what bruce cassidy provides And, Mm -hmm. and you know and then peter DeBoer goes into to dallas and uh, and and seems to have have, have found a, a niche again. So every every one of these coaches has, is, is good, yeah. has had success, and and these teams managed to, in an indirect way, without directly trading for each other, switch positions, and 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 then the clock starts fresh again. So it's it's twelve oh one for all those teams. Everybody's at the beginning, and and, and away they go. So right. uh, it, it it's a it's an interesting idea that you know that it'll never happen. I don't think, uh, but but uh, but but you do, and, and you, you kind of see it indirectly, right? How coaches, you know, you know, everyone says, how come the coaches are always recycled? Well, it, again, it's just a, it's good coaches getting another opportunity to start the clock on, on their tenure, and then you know sometimes you know you get to eleven fifty nine. And it's about to strike midnight, and 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 you're pretty much at the situation in, in the situation that Calgary's in right now, where yeah. it, it's just it again, it's out of sync, it isn't clicking, it's just a little bit off. You know, it, you have to you have to adjust, um, and maybe you don't have to adjust too much. I mean, that that to me is going to be, if you think about one overriding organizational question going into the off season, 
it has to relate to the players who are in the final years of their contracts. Mm -hmm. So if you run down the roster, yep, you've got Elias Lindholm, uh, one year left on 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 a, on a very good contract. You've got Tyler Toffoli, one year left on a on a very good uh, contract. You've got Chris Tanev in, in in that situation. You've got Noah Hannafin in that situation. I, I mean, you've got you've got Michael Backlund in that situation. So if you think about like core pieces and 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 pieces that you know players that that set the direction on the ice and and, and in the dressing room a little bit too. Every one of those players is going to have to make a decision about where they want to play next. And within the organization, they have to decide, you know, what do we do with them? Do we try to extend them all? If we try to extend them all, do we have enough money to extend them all? If we have enough money to extend them all, do they want to stay? And if they don't want to stay, then then do you do the proactive thing where you start to, you know, explore trade options in the summer? Do you wait to see if you can get this thing back on on track? Because if you can't, will their value be the same or even greater at mm-hmm. the trade deadline than it might be in in the summer? So these are these are are complex questions, and and they're not absolutely you know there are no absolutely clear answers no. uh, as to how to handle that. I mean, there's a part of me the you know the fantasy general manager or the one that you know that takes control of all these 32 teams in in my column that thinks that I want to bring the group mostly back just to see, just because I want I, I, I want to give them another opportunity to prove that maybe this is just the, the usual first-year blues that you see from players. Like, not everybody does what Matthew Kachuk has done, which is go into Florida yes. and then just be, just completely fit in. You know, more often than not, you have players, especially players who are you know, rewarded with, with new contracts, come in and, and really struggle to... Uh, to meet the expectations of that, I remember Daniel Briere addressed this once as a, as a player thirty years ago when 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 he or twenty years I can't remember, but it was yep. that he made the point that that he was not the same when he went to Philadelphia in the first year of a free agent contract because he felt that on every shift he had to earn that new contract, and it was only when he relaxed and just sort of went back to playing his game and being himself that that good things started to happen. So that to me would be the the risk of 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 altering too much of of the group to, because I think you need to see if Kadri is going to be better in his second year than his first. If Huberdo is going to be better yep. in his second year than his first. I mean I, I like Mackenzie Weger's game so I I have I think he's been fine. Yeah. Yeah, we're, I have little worry about him, and but I think he can be better too. So um and then the part two of the equation is so if that's the decision um, and you have all these players on expiring contracts and, and you get to March, you know, then you've at least postponed the decision for six months and you've started to get some answers. Um, you know, you've, there, there's nothing to prevent you from at least exploring the option of, of signing these guys to extensions in the summer, finding out if any are, are genuinely interested in returning, finding out what that price point is, yep. um, because that's, that's a challenging too in a year where Huberto's money jumps and Uyghur's money jumps. Uh, you know, you pretty much spent Milan Lucic's uh, contract on on the Huberto's extension. So it's a puzzle. Uh, you know, building a team in the salary cap era is a puzzle, and and you have to you know you have to treat every one of these pieces as as a separate piece of a twenty five to twenty seven piece puzzle that uh, has a lot of blue sky in it. so they're hard it's hard to fit those blue sky pieces in any puzzle that you're doing. Um, 
I, I was going to move away, but I just, the one thing that, <laughs> no, but the one thing we didn't talk no, no, about, stick with it, yeah. one thing yeah. we didn't talk about was the goaltending. Last year, top, you know, top three in, in goals against as, a, in, as a, a unit, you know, and, and Markstrom had the Vesna trophy. This year, bottom three. And I, I'm not sure, and I'm sure there have been, but I don't remember in recent history a swing for the tandem like that. Um, and I know that everybody gets happy feet and, and we're a year, but is there anything that you've seen this year that, that leads you to believe that there wouldn't be some sort of backup or back, um, bounce back next year from these two? Uh, and that's a great question. And, and let me start by saying that the, the one thing that you, you, you notice when you watch hockey for as, as long as both of us have is, is how much goaltending affects the uh, the mindset of the of the team that's playing and you know the position players playing in front of, of the goaltender because you know he's a, Jacob Markstrom is a popular player in, in that dressing room so is Vladar to the best of my knowledge although I don't know about that as well um, I think that the players want him to be better right. I think the players are supportive of him I think they remember how well he played for them last year and know he can be better but there are times especially in that during that stretch when the first shot was going in, it's seemingly at night after night after night, and now you're climbing out of a hole, and you don't really have the personnel to climb out of the hole. Right. So if you have a, a McDavid and, and a Drysaddle who who you know f- four times a period you know create something out of nothing, then you know you can recover from one nothing and and two one and so on and so forth. I mean the, the biggest you know I, I don't focus on stats too much, but the fact that they have zero come from behind wins after trailing in the, in the second period is is really Telltale. important in, ter- to, in terms of explaining what went wrong and it has as much to do with goaltending as, as mm-hmm. anything else so can he get his game back yes absolutely he can i think he's just proven that um you know that, that he's a you know like a, a top third uh nhl goaltender uh, not sure why uh, he lost his confidence because I don't think it's a technical issue as much as it is just a confidence issue. Um, you know, maybe overcompensating a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's as positionally uh, sound or as calm as 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 he might have been uh, uh, a year ago. And then, Rob, you, you've heard me over and over again talk about my theory of of NHL goaltending, which is very similar to my theory of NHL coaching, which is that once you get to this level, mm-hmm. there are no bad goaltenders. There are only, it's not bad goaltending versus good goaltending. It's hot goaltending versus cold goaltending. Yep. And and we, we've seen that over and over again, even this year, even right now, you know, Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg mm-hmm. was probably the top goaltender in the league for most of the season. And then all of a sudden, you know, he went from being hot to being cold and, and what happens now Winnipeg can't win. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to what you say that if the goaltending had been, you know, it wouldn't have even had to have been as good as it was last year, but it needed to be better than it has been this year. And if you have that, then all those games that you've lost, those one goal games that you've lost, where where a goal, one or two goals leak in that shouldn't have leaked in, you know, that's seven to ten more points in the standings. And now you're the team that's a couple of points ahead of of the Winnipegs and, and the yep. Nashvilles. And and you need to, you know, you need to have a respectable record in these final games and you're in the playoffs. And then who knows what can happen. So so yes, the, the goaltending is absolutely critical. The one thing that I was a bit surprised was that during that period of time when things were not going well with Markstrom, why they wouldn't have given Dustin Wolf a chance. And and 
a lot of times a young goaltender coming up, especially one that has won at every level, like, like Wolf has, you know, has this usually has a great first two weeks. And a lot mm -hmm. of times that's because the league doesn't know him. Right. Yep. So, so all of a sudden, here's a guy that's come in, we can look at tape, we can do that, but we don't really know him. And, uh, and, 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 you know, it's not as if he would necessarily have, have had to be here the entire year, but if you needed a jolt and believe me there, to me, there have been times this year when this team looked as if it needed a jolt, wouldn't a week to 10 days of Dustin Wolf have provided that jolt. You know, I, I think, you know, at, at some point, you know, seeing Walker Durr and, and, and Pelche in, in the lineup provided that jolt, that young energy, mm -hmm. that freshness, that hunger, that, uh, that young players, that's why you, 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 that's why you have a churn at the bottom of your roster every year to, to bring in players like that, that just lift the, the, the energy of, uh, of the group. And I do think that at one point with the goaltending being as, struggling as much as as it did that that is something that i might have looked at and then and just seen what happened because if he had provided that jolt and that that level of energy then again maybe we're having a different conversation i, I don't yeah no I, I don't disagree with you at all let's uh let's cleanse the palate a little bit we'll come back to the no. nhl in a second but earlier this week uh, the World Baseball uh, Classic ended. It ended in this incredible drama with Shohei Otani uh, striking out Mike Trout, two teammates. It was this. It was big numbers. Everybody, you know, baseball fell in love with best on best. Well, that meant that we had to come back and ask hockey about where's best on best. Um, there's no doubt hockey needs best on best. But I think, th is there still a debate on where and, and when it should be? Or why haven't we seen this? Well, you know, I, th I think that uh, negotiations. So the next um, the next event that was supposed to be on the calendar that featured best on best was going to be a 2024 World Cup. Mm -hmm. And negotiations were well on their way to uh, to um, to to form formulating how they were going to do it um, mid season uh, in February. Um, I don't think there was going to be a team North America or a, okay. or a team Europe. international, yeah. but, but it would have been, but it would have been uh, a, a more traditional world cup slash Canada cup. And then because of political events in, in, in Russia and Ukraine, those negotiations stalled and they are the last time I checked still on the back burner. So it's not as if they have eliminated the world cup from consideration but it's not going to be played in, in in 2024 so the earliest it could be played is 2025 and that depends again on on how things evolve uh, politically in, in the world uh, you know which the national hockey league and the ihf have no control over mm -hmm. so then if, if assuming that and plus because it takes so long to organize these events at a certain point you run out of time to to do a world cup so then the next event that that will come up on the international calendar are the 2026 Olympics in Italy. And again, I double checked, and according to the people I talked to, the NHL is still going. So if you recall, okay, um, yeah. when when the NHL uh, agreed to a contract uh, extension with uh, a CBA contract extension with the Players Association, sort of around the time of the of the bubble playoffs, one of the concessions from the NHL was participation in in both the 2022 and the 2026 Olympics. That 22 participation was dependent on there being no COVID interruptions to the season, which of course there were. And so 
I think it was six to eight weeks before um, they had to make a decision, the NHL withdrew and, and teams hurriedly put together, you know, their B and, and C teams and, yeah. and entered them in there. And at the time, I remember saying, OK, does this have any implications for 2026? And said, no, because we are still contractually committed to, to you know, based on these CBA negotiations to participate in 2026. So it hasn't been talked about a lot, um, but we are three years out from that right now. Um, you know, in my head, because this is the kind of thing that I like to do, I was looking at what a what a Canadian lineup might look like today, and then also trying to project what a Canadian lineup might look like in, in three years time. So if you're asking me to make my best guess mm-hmm. about when we will next see best on best, it is in the Italian Olympics in 2026. So three more years. So Connor yeah. McDavid will be 11 years in the National Hockey League and the only best on best competition he played in was part of that that uh, you know young kids roster in, in the 2016 World Cup and even after that ended as much fun as it was they all said the same thing I, the next time I do this I want the Canadian flag and, yeah. and the Americans Austin that I want to I want to represent my country not a yep. not an NHL kids all-star team so so that's I think where where it's gonna go um you know some of this as I say is is kind of beyond the control of mm-hmm. the of the people that are running the show. I know the NHL really wants the World Cup to return because the difference from the NHL's perspective of, of World Cup as opposed to Olympics is they have they have complete control over the event. They All have of, the, yeah. the, they have uh, the, the broadcast rights, the you know the media rights, the internet rights. The you know they, it's a it's a <clears throat> money maker for the league. Um, they can determine you know who plays and what the format is and what cities get the game you know when they're at the olympics they are they are you know they are guests of of the international olympic committee um you know they can't use their media there's you know they've been trying for a long time to negotiate some compromises there um it's still good for the 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 brand hockey Mm -hmm. but it doesn't do much for the brand of the nhl but what it does do is it allows you know the players who who want to play for their country who grew up you know you know as kids thinking you know what i want to represent my country in the sure. olympics um the opportunity to do it and then of course if you you know turn it over to to hockey fans you know if you care about the sport of hockey you want to see those events right they, i mean I, I covered i was in sochi i was i, mm-hmm. I mean i've i covered olympics from lake placid in 1980 to to, to the games in, in, in Sochi. And, and, you know, I, I would say that watching or, and reporting on Canada winning the gold medal in Salt Lake City, and then eight years later, winning the gold medal in Vancouver. Professionally, th- th- those were two of the highlights of my career to be able to, to write those stories for the national newspaper, to, to witness those games. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. And, 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 you know, from you know the the, the readership and, and the response from from fans and even people who are only mildly interested in hockey, how how much that mattered. And, right. You know, not every tournament is, is a work of art. The the one in Sochi was was clinical and methodical. The the Canadian win, but but boy, some of the you know you know Jerome McKinley, Sidney Crosby, Golden Goal, Ryan Miller. I, I mean, those are yeah. those are moments that are etched in time, right? Yeah. So we need we need that again, and and I think. We will get it again, but I don't think it's around the corner. What about the Russia question? Um, I have no problem saying I could care less if Russia played. Um, they weren't in the last World Juniors. So, you know, um, to me, I think it's one of the very few mechanisms in the world that 
that can get to that guy. I think by not having Russia yeah. there, that would embarrass Putin. Yet there's no shortage of NHL people and broadcasters that say, oh, no, you can't do it without Russia. Eric, can you, can you have best on best without Russia? Well, I think that, uh, that you know, we, we saw this week that the International Ice Hockey Federation is going forward with the World Championships this year without Russia and, and Belarus. And in, you know, three years from now at the Olympics, it won't be the NHL's decision. It will be the IOC's and the IIHF's decision. And if, if things haven't changed, then yes, you can go forward without, uh, without Russia. And, and, and I'm almost certain that they will go forward without Russia. Uh, it's a different question when it comes to the World Cup because, mm-hmm. again, that's an NHL production. And, you know, if, if you, you know, watch the NHL, I mean, Alex Ovechkin achieved a milestone this yep. uh, this week. He scored 40 goals again for the 13th time, and that that's more than even Wayne Gretzky did. Um, the players were wearing Ovechkin jerseys. Uh, you know, there were, you know the, the top players in the game uh, did video congratulations to Alex Ovechkin. You know, as far as they are concerned, as far as the NHL is concerned, the Russian players are part of the NHL family. And I do not believe the NHL will go forward with mm-hmm. their version of best on best and exclude Russia. Wow. Okay. Um, one, uh, one other, I do want to go back to Ovechkin and the 40 goals, but before I get there, um, you and I are of an age and a vintage that, uh, we lived through the old, uh, uh, Don Cherry, Bruce Dobigan fighting, does it belong in hockey? And, <laughs> and, and it, it almost seems like that whole thing has died out over time yet. Now it's back in the news. Quebec, uh, major junior hockey league is, is going to ban fighting next year. Um, it's part of their, uh, COVID um, support that they got from the government. They had to agree to it. So it was more of a government mandate. How significant is this in the game today, especially where we've seen just the overall fighting numbers have have really fallen off a cliff in the last decade? Hmm. How significant? Well, it is significant. Um, I probably don't want to overstate it to say it's a, it's a watershed moment because I don't think it's necessarily that. Okay. The way you framed the question suggests to me that you know the answer that that fighting has that the nhl has made a conscious decision to try and have fighting naturally evolve out of the game rather than take that that dramatic step of just saying you know if you fight you know there's an automatic game misconduct and, and you're thrown out of the game they haven't been willing to take that final final step so what they've done is they've introduced measures and rule changes to uh, organically eliminate fighting and and we don't see a lot of staged fighting uh i thought it was instructive that at the general managers meetings uh one of the topics they discussed they didn't move forward on it was you know why why do players after clean legal hits you know have to fight you know somebody you know you know defenseman x steps up on player y makes a, a completely legal check it's a body contact sport there should be nothing wrong with it but the the ethic now is that we mm-hmm. need to respond to that and so someone does and all of a sudden a poor hapless player who has made a legal play now you know is challenged to a fight and, and, and has to respond so that that's patently wrong has been wrong for a long time the general managers know it's wrong they need to do something about it they weren't able to come to any kind of consensus about how to address that i think again that would be the sort of situation i mean yeah. the, you know the, in, in a situation like that you can you know the instigator penalty gives you a, a two five and a, and, and a ten uh, to me it 
it's a very easy tweak. It, you know, you instigate it to two five and a, and, and a game, right? I mean, it's simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yep. so I think that um, I, I think that we are we are inching towards a moment in time when when that does happen. That, yeah. that the band that we've seen in, in Quebec yeah. um, manage Toba Junior Hockey League, uh, you know, is planning to bite. I think that 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 is going to to happen. And then I, I think that that's a great. Uh, uh, litmus test for, for the National Hockey League, uh, you know, to, to see if, because the, the, the one thing that everyone says is if you, if you ban fighting, then it will allow, you know, more of the, of the stick work and no one can respond. I, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to test that premise to see if that actually happens because the game, it might've, it might've happened if you tried to ban fighting 20 years ago, but I'm not sure that it would happen if you banned fighting today. So Ooh. let's, let's, Let's see how things go in, in the in, in the queue. Let's see yeah. where things stand, and um, and, and I guess uh, uh, I'll, I'll say one final thing because I I don't think that anything will change at the National Hockey League level as long as Gary Bettman is the commissioner. So I do think that this is one of those issues that will uh, that will be status quo in, in the NHL. Uh, they they won't take this. Uh, this final step the way some of the junior leagues are doing but i do mm-hmm. believe that at some point between now and 2030 because batman promised me he wouldn't be running the team uh or the league by 202030 that when new <laughs> leadership comes in then you will be able to you know to to make these changes and uh, and and that's you know if we were having this discussion in in yeah. 2033 i don't think we'd be having it i, I think that you know if two players fought fight in a game which will happen probably occasionally they would just simply go to the dressing room and they would get game misconducts and they'd be out of the game yep. so that's where it's going but it's not going there anytime soon at the nhl level well, well two observations one observation was it's interesting to hear the argument about well if you take it out will this happen it reminds me so yeah. much of when visors became remember we're gonna we're gonna mandate visors whoa you can't do that if you mandate visors and sticks are gonna come up and there was a, there's always that reactionary but I think the other part in this, Eric, is as a guy who was in his youth pro fighting, we had to have it. It's it's the history. It's the it's the, in the fabric. And you know, I remember our, our our friend Bruce Dobigan would be the guy that would stand out there and be the lone voice in some cases in the wilderness and say. But that was always a passionate debate. I don't feel mm-hmm. any passion this time. It's more like, well, it's going to happen. We'll see what happens. I just don't get the passion that that used to elicit in the sport. Yeah, well, I think your observation is 100% correct. And I think it has to do with the fact that it, it is slowly leaving the sport. And, you know, to me, the, the most important crackdown, if, if that's the right word, that happened was was when the NHL said, okay, staged fights are stupid. You know, like it's one thing in a body contact sport to have a spontaneous reaction to players going out. It, it didn't make it right, mm-hmm. but at least, but, but it was human nature that that, that sometimes happens. And, and that will, that will continue to happen, you know, even, even with a, a fighting band. I mean, you know, fighting is banned in, 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 in the NFL, you know, yeah. but, you know, a handful of times every year players fight and, and, you know, they're ejected from the game and then the game moves forward. So, but, but it was getting the staged fights out of the game. Thank goodness. That was, that was a sideshow and it was unnecessary and it proved nothing. And, and uh, you know, the, the the fact that the league uh, was as concerned about that as it was, I I think, and, 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 and took steps to eliminate it, I thought was, was an important moment because they're, as I said, I don't think they're ever going to get to that, final point where a fight 
gets you tossed out of the game. But the fact that they were essentially able to eliminate stage fights or, or dramatically reduce them mm-hmm. um, was, was, an, was an important uh, step forward. And, and going back to you know another point that you made there about uh, fighting always being part of the fabric of the game. In 1991, I think it was, um, I was doing a lot of work for the Hockey News in, in, in those days when Steve Dryden was the editor-in-chief. And we had a, uh, a, uh, a summit meeting of, of some of the leaders of the game. Uh, I think it was in Quebec City uh, at, the, at the draft there and, uh, and to, to debate these issues. And, and Steve Dryden, similar to, to Bruce Dobingen, has always you know, believed that fighting needs to be weaned out of the game. And one of the people we invited was Harry Sinden. And Harry made a really passionate point. Now, you know, Harry is as old school as it gets, right? Yeah. I mean, he coached Bobby Orr and, and the big bad Bruins and so on and so forth. And, and he said, it's not part of the game. He said the soldiers that invented the game of hockey on the St. Lawrence River in, you know, yep. a, a century and a half ago didn't start out by saying we need to fight if we get, you know, it, it was a sport. He said fighting came into the game and, and, it, and, it, and it needs to evolve out of the game. And this is Harry Sinden, you know, who yeah. uh, people always say that the reason that the game hasn't changed is because those old school hardliners refuse to, to budge. But, but, and that was like 1991. So we're 30 years past that point. So th- there has been a momentum going forward for a long time to get fighting out of the game. And, 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 you know, yourself too. I mean, and, you know, I, I guess I, I would have to say, I, I wasn't as passionate about fighting as say my colleague, George Johnson, who really, really liked to see a good scrap, but, but I had issues with it. Sure. Um, you know, I, I remember, I just remember seeing Jamie McCowan's face after yeah. you know, we walked on the bus after that fight with Ron DeLorme. And he was just, it was, it was, it was ugly. You know, he, you know, it, 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 it offended me, my sensibilities as, as a person, you know, notwithstanding what, what you do for a living. Um, and so I, I think that, uh, you know, that we've, we've gradually, you know, figured that out. And, and then you have, you know, your children playing minor hockey. And, and now, you know, and they're watching fighting at the NHL and you think to yourself, okay, you know, that just sets a bad example for, for kids. And I don't want my son having to fight in, in a mm-hmm. game and, 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 and you, you, you dig into your, your belief a little bit more, you know, you, where you might've been on the fence on it. And, and I, I, I would probably say that I was on the fence on the fighting issue for the first 10 years. I, I did this, you know, I got off the fence yeah. and, uh, and, and a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, coaching kids in, in hockey sure. and not wanting to, to see them influenced by fighting at the NHL level and, and thinking it was okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think I'm at the fence now, but I mean, I was, I mean, it, I, Peter Marr would step aside and let me call fights on the radio. Cause I was so far over the top. I thought it was entertainment, but the first time that I sat in with, um, uh, Chris Nowinski from the, uh, uh, the concussion program that he's running out of Boston yep. college, he did a presentation here and it just changed my life. When you begin to understand yeah. the impact of CTE and and what concussions and blows to the head can have, it you know it, it wasn't it wasn't entertainment anymore for me. I still no. I still struggle a little bit with it because of of the history to it and and what it's meant. But I I like to think I'm evolving. I was going to call myself a hypocrite, but I I prefer the term evolving. I think I'm evolving. Well, I, I, and I think you can do that. I, I I've, I've told this story before, but um, you know there was a period of time when. Uh, 
you know, when you know, we're, we're talking specifically about uh, about hits to the head, mm -hmm. and um, and you know, again, for the first ten years or so that I, I covered hockey, that was a clean hit, and and I never thought twice about it. Well, it was a clean hit; it's not a penalty, yeah. you know. Right. And then then I started to see, uh, you know, the the hits that that Scott Stevens, mm -hmm. you know, put on people in the game, and and you know, watching Eric Lindros wobble to the bench, and I particularly remember one time Ron Francis. Uh, when he was playing for Carolina, wobbled to the bench and and thinking, okay, you know, even though it's part of the game and even though it's legal, it, it's not right. And then yeah. a colleague of mine, Cam Cole, uh, really got on the soapbox and said, this has to change. And and I, I remember reading a column of his and thinking, he's right. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, so so you know, again, you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to see both sides. And then realize that there is no defending, yes. you know, predatory yeah. hits to the head. And and from that moment on, you know, that's the that's the position I adopted. And I, I do think that's an evolution. Yeah. I mean, you you can always be stuck in in in, in your ways and and never evolve and never change. I, that's not really healthy. And that's that's just a you know person thing, not as much as anything else. But but it was I, I specifically remember reading a very compelling argument from cam cole in the national post about predatory hits to the head thinking he's right and and mm -hmm. and and, and, it, and it you know it changed the direction of, of my thinking and and i think you know sometimes you know people in our industry can do some good simply by by talking about it by writing about it by you know by just saying the, you know what's true that that's not right and that has to change i'm just going to point out another example of the impact of good journalism, right? That's good journalism. And that's why I, I, I still get, you know, the pride, whatever we, we get all these people going, Oh, it's you guys in the media doing it. No, no. Good journalism makes you think good journalism makes you consider your point. And, and I, I just wanted to point that out. So let's end on a, a light note, shall we? Um, <laughs> okay. Because we, we've been talking about some heavy stuff, but about 15 minutes ago, you let it slip that you were thinking about rosters for best on best. And we yeah. kind of talked about it. Apparently, according to Gavin, we got quite a few comments, uh, people going, uh -huh. what about in goal? So, Eric, if, you were, if you're planning, what are you seeing? What's your crystal ball tell you about goaltending for Canada in the next three or four years if we get to best on best? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Does that count? As a yes, that counts as a response. It absolutely did, does. Did, did I actually answer the question? <laughs> yes, you did. I think I think we're all there. Sound? Yeah, I think we're all there. Well, and I think the you know the the step back and rational answer is it depends. Yeah, because it, it would be one it would be one thing if you were you know starting a tournament um, you know in, in in two weeks time and you had to pick somebody. Um, because then I think you would you would simply try to take uh, the hottest goaltender in, in sure. the National Hockey League with a Canadian birth certificate, or you can look at if if my conjecture is, is correct, and the next um, best on best tournament isn't until Italy in, in three years' time. Mm -hmm. You don't know. You, you don't know. I mean, when when we so put it this way, when we were doing the lists for 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 2022, when it looked as if uh, as if you know the NHL was was going to the Olympics, that was the single biggest question mark. Right. Um, you know, we we were talking about you know will Carter Hart 
bounce back. Mackenzie Blackwood was in in, in, in the conversation. There were yep. there were a number of these young goaltenders coming through the ranks that were showing promising signs, um, and you know maybe more good than than bad. And and then you know and then they've you know tailed off or plateaued or or dropped. And so uh, so I you know I mean I don't know the answer to that. It, it would be an interesting um, discussion to have. Uh, you know, I saw that this year, they, this week, they, the Hockey Canada announced that Doug Armstrong would be running the world uh, championship team. Steve Eisenman would be his primary advisor. That, that, that was interesting to me because Steve, of course, ran yep. Team Canada during those two Olympics, won the goals and, and then stepped back. So the fact that he is now, again, taking a leadership position uh, with Hockey Canada, does, does that mean then that he is part of the mix in, in 2026 in terms of putting the roster together? I would say yes. Um, I think as long as Doug Armstrong continues to run St. Louis and because he was tasked with uh, with the last team that didn't go forward, that he will probably be the the, the man in charge. Um, I think that will be one of the, the critical questions that they'll have to answer. And it's not I mean, I guess it's not that different than than some of those other years. You know, when mm-hmm. I think about 2002, you know, Patrick mm-hmm. Waugh said, no, he was the best goaltender at the time. They started with Curtis Joseph. Mm-hmm. He didn't fare very well in the first game against uh, against Sweden and, and, and they veered off. So, um, and, and, and the other thing about, you know, Canadians in goal is that, uh, at, at that level and with best on best, what you want is a goaltender that makes all the saves that they have to, it's rare that, that you, you need a goaltender to come in and steal the game. Like I think about the game in, in, you know, Canada played against Latvia in, in, in Sochi, you know, the, the young Latvian goaltender stopped like 60 shots and it was a close game until, uh, you know, until you yeah. know, fairly late in the game and they sneaked one out. That goaltender almost stole a game. Rarely, if you have yeah. a team that has, you know, McDavid and, you know, and even an aging Sidney Crosby, th- those teams are so good and, and, and they're so, all the players are so well-schooled in all aspects of the game that you just need a goaltender that doesn't leak in a bad one at, at a critical time in the game. So, um, wish I could answer that question, and uh, and I'm pretty sure that as it gets closer to the time when you actually have to make a decision, that that will create the the most sleepless nights for whoever happens to be running Team Canada at the time. I'll say this: it, it, this yeah. would be a that would be a good question to ask an American fan right now. They'd feel really good about themselves. Demko, Ottinger, Hellebuck, maybe Dustin Wolf in three years, right? Russia too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Russia. Well, they're not honest, coming though. If Russia's in the well, if, but if Russia, if if in three years' time, yeah. you know, hopefully things have calmed down in mm. the world and Russia is there, they'll have their toughest decision is, is who to leave off, you know, or who starts. Right. Um, you know, Finland has great choices. Sweden has great choices. It it really is an interesting um, discussion to see who the next great young Canadian goaltender is and and will they be ready in three years time to be the starter in in, in Italy good question and and uh, I don't profess to know the answer to that one right now well if other that, than ah! <laughs> I agree I think that is the most appropriate answer Eric as always appreciate this uh, I believe you're going to be back in this neck of the woods in a couple of weeks when we do our next visit are you? I, I will try. I will try to get into the studio to, to sit there and uh, looking forward to it. And please pass on my heartfelt congratulations to Vicky Hall. She is here right now. Finest. All right. Well, Vicky, 
congratulations. Well-deserved. You've had a fabulous, fantastic career. I can't believe I knew you when you were just a young whippersnapper coming through the ranks. <laughs> now you're a Hall of Famer. Well done. I love it. Thanks, Eric. Okay. There you go. Our pal Eric Dachuk from The Athletic. The aforementioned young whippersnapper is going to join us here in a moment. Uh, we do want to let you know that we are in the Oodle Noodles studio. We bring the heat. Try the butter chicken mac and cheese, the Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai, classic vegetarian gluten options as well. Pick up and delivery at two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. I do want to do this um, quickly, and it's just about to go out, or we'll go out here momentarily. Today's reading assignment, kids, uh, and I I feel terrible because we were just talking about uh, traditional journalism. It's actually a tweet, if you can believe it. It's about, uh, it's from Nathan Baugh, and it's about F1 Drive to Survive, but it's the first time I've seen, that's a whole tweet. You can now, if you pay the 450 bucks, you can do 4,000 words. But if you read that whole thing about Drive to Survive, it is so well done on the success. And that is, Drive to Survive success is the new cocaine for sports marketers. They all want to find their drive. That golf's doing one. Everybody, we got to do it. the problem. And he points it out in there. The problem is everybody tries to do it, but but our way, the way we've always done it. We'll do it our. We're going to put our spin onto it. You have to look at the impact that that show has had on a sport, and it had that impact because somebody said, "The hell with it. The old ways aren't working." Every we're going to. It's like George Costanza. It's the opposite of that. I'm not going to have a tuna melt. Uh, that's how F1 Drive to Survive works. So that's today's reading assignment. Uh, we go from one literary legend to another. Um, very, very excited uh, that uh, Vicki Hall can join us, uh, the newest member of the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in the media section, but also the first female Um and that's significant to me. I'll ask if it's significant to her. But she was also, uh, I believe, the first uh, woman, former president of Football Reporters of Canada, if I have that correct, and the first female on the selection committee for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. That is correct. Uh, Vicki Hall joins us now. Congratulations. You Thank can hear you. me? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, and Eric just said he, you know, he was he was waxing poetic about um, about you and remembers when you were a young whippersnapper. And I think... Um, we're all too, we're all so proud of you. Like, we're all trying to find the right words. It was coming. We knew it was coming, but it, it just came out. And how do you find out that, by the way? How do you, how do you find out you're going into the hall? Well, it, it was a little bit complicated because, and thank you for all of that, but uh, Donna Spencer from the Canadian Press actually nominated me. Okay. Um, and Donna, if you know her, she can be quite a formal person. So she called me and uh, formally let me know that I was, uh, um, uh, that I had been nominated. The other thing is, is I'm on the Canadian Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee and suddenly I got kicked off the media selection committee so that was a little bit of a, a hint I was oh no good it was a hint it, well, you didn't take it the wrong way I just wasn't invited to the meetings all of a sudden which I thought was a little odd but I but I, I didn't find out actually until Daryl Davis from the Regina Leader Post let me know so uh, I, I, when do you think about that like you're putting people in in that category are you thinking about it like you know is my turn coming do you allow that to creep into your head no, not really, because I think that we all want to think of ourselves as young, right? That young whippersnapper. Yes. And uh, so yes. to me, I still feel uh, like quite young. And yeah. so to me, I I didn't even really think about it like that. And then, uh, yeah, so when I got the call, I was um, just 
really sh- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Shocked. And I still don't know if I really think it's real. So, Oh, it's real. I mean, we all know about it. You, you, they, it there's no take backs. Like they can't come and go, oh, oh, oh. you know, she t- was on a podcast in Calgary and said, it's too young. So we're going to wait 20 years and give it to her later. That, that's, that's not how this works. Um, why journalism? How did you, how did it find you or how did you find it? Oh, I think, um, like I was the kid, you'll be shocked by this, but I was the kid who talked too much at school <laughs> and, uh, I found, I actually found school kind of hard in some ways. Okay. I had a hard time paying attention and I, you know, I, I always wanted to be on the move and I, I knew a nine to five office job would be difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, kind of, bambled my way through the first few years of university lost and uh, I applied to get into the journalism school at the University of Regina I got in off the waiting list and I when the letter came I dropped down on my knees and cried Hmm. and um, because I finally felt and when I got into journalism and I started at the Edmonton Journal I was like this is the first place that's going to pay me to talk on the phone (laughs) They're not going to get upset if my desk is messy or if I'm kind of all over the place. So, yeah, it was uh, – and I love telling stories. So, to me, that's what it's all about. Why are you not on doing this then? Like, everything you just described was uh, two years less education and much, much, much messier desks. You could have got into radio. That was the plan, actually. I was, was it? I was uh, supposed to get into radio. I had somebody uh, tell me I, – I had a I had auditioned for a play very early on and – uh, I didn't make it, and he said to me, "You have a voice like Barbara Frum. You should try. Sure. You should try radio." And so that was the plan. But back then, uh, at the University of Regina, they told you where to go, 
and so in well they told you where to go in many ways but in uh, <laughs> uh and uh, we had a instructor who would write who the f cares on our assignments quite often it was the old days um but anyways <laughs> i digress but uh yeah they told me i was going to the edmonton journal and uh that was a prestigious uh internship and my life was changed and i didn't get to sit next to you because of that um because my wow. career was changed. So was it journalism? Was it news or was it sports? What, where did the sports part of it come in? Well, I always loved sports. And actually, I used to try and hide that a little bit because I, I wasn't a good athlete. That's not my yeah. uh, thing at, at all. Um, I have something called developmental coordination disorder or dyspraxia, uh, which is like dyslexia, except for it's kind of my, my hands and stuff don't do what my brain is telling it to do. Right. So that, but I did love hockey okay. and I, I, Eric Dehatchek, I used to cut out his articles and I, I, you know, and I used to dream of calling the Colin show after Peter Marr mm-hmm. and his radio, um, because I wanted to let people know what I thought. Yeah. And, yeah. and then we moved to Edmonton when I was 10 and I burst into tears when my mom told me, cause I hated the Oilers <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we moved up to Edmonton and we lived in Short Park and my dad had a little punch buggy and it, and it was the only radio on the house could, that could get Calgary, Calgary. radio. And I would sit so that'd in be the 770 car. then, wouldn't it? Back then? Yeah, why do I want to say it was... It Was it 66? Yeah, it was 66. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would sit in there, and I would um, I would sit in the car late at night in my red parka, and I would listen to the game, and it would go... Oh, yeah. Because it was so hard to hear it. But uh, So I was, I was diehard. But then when I got to grade 7, I was like, oh, girls don't really like that kind of thing. So I tried to hide it for a long time, and... And uh, then I got into journalism and I did news and, and then they asked me if I wanted to cover sports and I was like, yeah, that's the, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the thing. Wow. Um, how, this one is kind of a personal one for me, but how important was your news, as brief as it was, how important was it to cover news? Wasn't brief. Like it was uh, 10 years. Yeah, that's uh, not so brief. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, mine was, not, was brief. Yours, not, yours was not brief. Mine wasn't brief. Um, I feel I've got a bit of a big head, so this is slipping. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, I digress. Well, it just to me, I've always believed that good sports reporters have a strong foundation in news. Yes. Right? And in the way that news is covered. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that gave me an advantage because I was always looking at the story. And, and to me... Like, I think sports journalism is important to know what the sport you're covering is, but I also think it's important to know how to write a story and mm-hmm. to talk to people and to look at things from the bigger point of view, like a Hall Kelly from the Globe Mail. You know, it's not just what sports or even the fighting discussion you just had. It's yeah. about how it fits into society. Right. And so the other thing is, is I teach journalism now at SAIT, and, yep. I, and a lot of it I talk about, I use sports analogies all the time. But it's like if you're playing hockey, you need to be able to shoot the puck. You need to be able to stick handle. You need to be able to body check. You know, all these passing, shooting. And when you go to practice, you go to Flames practice, they practice those things every day. So in terms of like writing a lead, conducting an interview properly, asking the right questions, choosing the right quotes, all those things are fundamentals. And for me, I think sometimes in sports, people jump just to the, oh, I know this and I know that. And Mm -hmm. they don't get those fundamentals and they don't want to practice them. To me, it was always the the, kind of the the, the little following up. And you know, explaining why it matters. It's not. It's not a, again to your point. I saw that. Yeah, but why does it matter? And I've always felt that that's been one thing on the TV side and on the radio side that 
in print, I, I don't, maybe it's not as valued as much, but that's why print was so important for so long because the context came there. That's where the, the true information came from. That's where the true story was written. We drew upon the written word so much for this sport, for all sports, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and I think that one of the things I'm teaching in journalism at SAIT is the John Sawatsky method of interviewing, which is asking open questions, mm-hmm. lean questions, uh, making sure they're neutral, that you're not putting your own opinion into them. And I think in sports reporting, so the, actually ESPN hired this individual to teach them yep. how, to, how to interview. And, and what I find sometimes in sports is the questions are more um, – someone trying to show their knowledge or trying to say, Hey, Daryl, do you think that this happened or that happened instead of Daryl? What do you think about this? Right. And he might be a bad example because you might not get a great answer depending on what he's thinking anyways. But so to me, I think sometimes that's what the print journalists brought was they, you know, they would hang in and ask the questions later. Cause that's an unspoken mm-hmm. rule usually is that the broadcast people went first, but, sure. uh, but then we would ask those other questions. So you're in Edmonton, you're at the journal, you've spent 10 years in news and somebody comes to you and says, do you want to do sports? What's the, what's the first story? What's the, the entry for you into sport? Well, I lived in Saskatchewan for a time, so yeah. I, I did know a little bit about football, but uh, if I'm very honest, I didn't know a ton. Mm-hmm. And I'd been working at City Hall. So, and my first training camp I covered was Don Matthews just before he got fired. Was, did he get fired? Uh, Is that the one where he ju- he left, right? Like during training camp, he left and the, the Eskimos wouldn't talk about it, right? Oh, yeah, so I have a bit of a story about that. The journal sent me to Montreal a few years later. By the way, that was my first Eskimos camp, yeah, too. Yeah, I think we were together. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, we were rookies together. Yeah, that's right. So anyways, we, I get, uh, sent to Montreal, like I think the next winter to interview Don Matthews. So mm-hmm. they've agreed, Don's agreed to interview. So I go, the journals paid for me to fly across the country and stay at the Sheraton in Montreal. So I go to Olympic stadium. I have my question list planned. I've put a lot of thought into this and the, the deal of the interview was that I did not ask him what happened in Edmonton. <laughs> So I did this whole thing kind of about his life and it was actually very interesting that Don had lost his father early and um, was always kind of seemingly looking for male role models and he he wanted to be that. Like he had, mm-hmm. it was a very fascinating psychology to that man. Oh, so yeah. uh, about 45 minutes into the interview, I say, so Don, like what happened in Edmonton? <laughs> and uh, he goes, this interview's over. And uh, Louis-Philippe Dore, the yep. PR guy, he's like, Vicky, 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 I told you not to do that. Don is going to kill me. And I literally got marched out of Olympic Stadium. But uh, yeah, so that was my first training camp was, uh, was that one. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, you would have had, a f- you wouldn't have been the f- first woman in Edmonton in sports were you the first woman to cover the Eskimo or did Joanne cover it? no Joanne, Joanne Ireland covered? and like that was the thing is in Edmonton it wasn't really a new thing because no. Lisa Miller had yeah. been there forever and was excellent and Joanne uh, you know she very highly esteemed very very respected so when I came along it wasn't that different um sometimes like I had I had some challenges in that training camp and I had some challenges covering that team that year but I think some I never know how to separate what was the fact that I was a rookie and I was new and you know the gender thing also obviously came into it but I think a lot of it was just that I was new and I also believe that no matter what if you talk about politics the press gallery their culture mimics politics 
politicians. Mm -hmm. And I think in sports, a lot of the things that you see in athletes and in teams, it's the same thing in sports reporting. Like if you're a rookie, um, you need to earn your respect and and you need to respect the people around you and things like that. Yes. I would go one step further that I would also say there's geographical components to that. That I I found it was different covering sports in Edmonton than it was in Calgary. And I would say it's different in Toronto and it's different in BC. I think there's a a, not a cultural, but a, a, lo, a locale component to that. There 100% is, and that was the thing is that while I was not the first woman at all in Edmonton, we were traveling around to these other places and to other places. Yeah, it was it was still yeah it was still new, and you know I mean I would go to Montreal and there was nowhere for me to use the bathroom yep. during a game. Like yep. so there were it was it was there was definitely. Um, there are definitely different things, and every team in the CFL kind of has a different flavor because of where they where they play. Right. Um, you were a fan, or you became a fan of the CFL. How would you describe that? Well, I I don't. I'm assuming a lot of people listen are listening from Saskatchewan. I think in, if you live in Saskatchewan for a long period of time, you have some of that in you just by virtue of being in the province. So right. did I know about the CFL? For sure. And did I follow it? But very casually and from a distance. I, I've always felt there was, and maybe it's not so much true now, although we had Danny Austin on a couple of weeks ago, and I, the, the difference between the CFL and the NHL was I've always believed that the people covering the CFL really are rooting for the league want the league to be successful, would want to cover a league that gets out of its own way. But that's difficult sometimes for the league. Is that a fair assessment of what you've oh, seen? Oh, for sure. I mean, to me that they have problems. Yeah, I mean, it's all... But the the thing is, they're always going to have problems. Like, they've always, like... Probably since I was born, they've been on the verge of, mm-hmm. like, oh, this team's going to fold, or this disaster, or Edmonton is cheating the salary cap and doing and yep. you know and, and wins every year yep. they've always had issues but I think one of the charms of it and lacrosse I think is similar mm-hmm. is that um, the players make the same money as a lot of us sure. make or similar like yep. they are in a same sphere as us and and I think that that in some ways makes them more relatable they they work jobs they you know a lot of the players that you and I covered are mortgage breaker brokers <laughs> yeah. real estate agents firefighters uh, firefighters police yeah. um, like so I think that that's one of the things it, it's a very relatable fun league with with a lot of very interesting people um when when you when did you come to Calgary? Uh, Two thousand eight. I came after the Beijing Olympics. Okay, so you missed? No, no, you wouldn't have. You covered them from afar, but you missed Michael Federick, Fred Fateri, and and that yeah, whole gong show. I was like, I I covered it because I was covering the league as Correct. my beat, but at the yeah. same time, I wasn't. That was Michael Petrie. Yeah. He did an outstanding <laughs> job there on that. Oh, uh, so deserved yeah, a medal. <laughs> he did. He did deserve a medal for that. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, that was definitely a circus, and it's been interesting um, in recent years to speak with Wally. Just about mm-hmm. some of those times. If you, if you could ever get Wally on the show, I would really recommend it because if, if you can give him some true serum, man, he's got lots of stories. I, I, I love him. I think he's um, such a dignified representative of the, the you know, the, the crap that went on around never stuck to Wally because Wally carried himself and was, you know, just a true gentleman and, and a, a really good representative of the sport and did not deserve to go through any of that. No, Wally, you know, I used to love to go to Wally's coaches' news conferences, partially because uh, people used to joke with me. Uh, Peter Lombardius and I actually yeah. have this in, in common in the fact that we, like, always to, like, make sports life 
comparisons and things. Yeah. So uh, Wally, if you go to his coaches' news conferences, I, I wanted to hear what he had to say about football, but I also wanted to hear what he wanted to say about life. Yeah. I use it to this day. Football is not a democracy. No, it's it, not. It, it's not, and it's it's it works in so many situations, right? Yeah. Sometimes somebody's got to make a decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even Wally, when he talks about The Rock. By the way, Wally does talk a lot about The Rock these days. He, he like does. When, I, when yeah. I see Wally, it's so funny because Wally cut him, right? And 100%. It's his thing. But you know what? They're in contact. Like, they're, like, they still chat and text. Like, he has... It's two ways. He texts him. They text each other. It's two ways, right? Like, Dwayne Johnson has talked openly about Uncle Wally, right? And how long was that? A couple of months? Like, he wasn't here a couple of seasons. No, not even. Like, he didn't make it out of training camp, right? Like, Like, he was staying at Motel Village. And, you know, like, like he was just some guy. But that's the impact, right? That is the impact. Yeah, I think we all have people like that. Uh, I know my son does at hockey where like if they, you don't have to spend a ton of time, but it's about if, uh, you know, I was messaging with John Garrett today. And oh, did you? I, yeah. I messaged John Garrett and I said, because John always talked to people and talks to people like you matter. 100%. It does not matter who you are, no. you like on what your station is in life. If he's having a conversation with you, he's a hundred percent in with you, and he wants to hear what you think. And yep. I and I messaged him and I said, "You might have been good at stopping a puck, even though some people might argue <laughs> with that." Hey, he was an all star at an NHL all star game. He was see, sorry, the MVP at an NHL all star game. Go. So I said, yeah. "But but to me, the big thing about you is uh, your real and your humility. Because oh. to me, humility is not that you're better or worse than anyone. That we're all humans together in this experience. And John Garrett to me is is incredible there for those." who don't know John, obviously the color analyst on Vancouver uh, television, I should say, for the Canucks, and uh, is is retiring after this year from color analyst. Sounds like he's going to stick around. But I'm not, John refers to me as number 35. I was the 35th play-by-play guy that he worked with. So he calls me number 35. But he, like my first game with him, he couldn't have been nicer. Like he's, that's the joy of this job. You beat people like yourself or Eric Dehachuk or, you know, or John Garrett in this case. And they, they, and they, they mean something, right? It means something to have these people in your lives. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to me, I like I still have John Garrett's hockey cards, right? So, For sure. So, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, he wanted to know what was going on with me. Over the years, he sent me messages on Facebook saying, your son needs a haircut, so you can take him to get a haircut, <laughs> things like that. That, that yeah. sounds like John, yeah. Oh, yeah. That he's, sounds like he's John. Great guy, yeah. Okay, so one guy that I do want to ask you, and I had a experience with him, but going back to your days covering the Eskimos, he wouldn't have had it as prominent a role, but... But tell me about uh, Coach Campbell. Tell me about Hugh Campbell. Do you have a Hugh Campbell story? or? Oh, well, Hugh, uh, Hugh was one of those people, right? Like he, he uh, I have a story about Hugh. So very early on, I had to go to a, I think it was their annual general meeting. Yeah. And uh, it was always interesting in Edmonton covering there because that team had a ton of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if you looked at their books each year, they were just scraping by, just getting by, just right? Getting like by. just getting by. It was, yeah. uh, it was, uh, it was an interesting thing. But anyways, I was sitting, you uh, know, it wasn't the meeting. It was a breakfast with all the season ticket holders. And these are the people who are very dedicated and it's this breakfast. And Hugh gets up there and he's like all shucksy and da, 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 da. And he announced that all the season ticket holders were losing their parking because the track and world 
track and field championships were going. So they were taking all their parking near Commonwealth Stadium away. And, you know, that area can be challenging at night. Yes, like it I can. Used to, I used yeah. to always get someone to walk me to my car. Yeah. Uh, so he announced that all of them were losing their parking for the entire year. And at the end of that speech, they got up and gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was that was just, that was Hugh Campbell. You and I have a mutual friend that I probably don't want to name. But you'll know when I tell you this, who it was. Said that in the 80s. Everybody thought it was Potlington and the Oilers and Glenn Sather. The most powerful man in Edmonton was Hugh Campbell. That if you wanted something done, you went to Hugh. Yeah, absolutely. He just made things happen. And he has just such a, like, just such a relaxed mm-hmm. demeanor, demeanor mm-hmm. and, and not confrontational. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I mean, they used to call it the Campbell Football League, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, he, he yeah. if he was running the city of Edmonton, he was also running the the CFL at the time. So you come to Calgary in 2008. It's a bit of a rebirth for the organization. New ownership, uh, Ted Hellard, uh, Henry Burris is here. Um, Tom Higgins, a familiar face, is here. What was that transition like, you know, coming up and and being in the new city? And then I believe you were moving, or did you move right into hockey? I moved right into hockey. Yeah, you did, didn't you? I came down because it was like this chance of this dream job. So I got to cover hockey with Scott Cruikshank and Jean Lafay, who is now with the Stamps. And yeah, that was, uh, it was... um, it was a whole new world, right? My first story was on Todd Bertuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sit down with Todd, which was actually kind of similar to the Don Matthews interview. He was fine, but he was so tense. Yep. Like I, he was just like, he was sitting there, he had a skate and he kept like, he had the lace of his skate and he kept going like this. Like he, w- yeah. he just kept asking, waiting for me to ask the. Dominic Moore story. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like he, he was so, so tense. And Peter Hanlon was like, circling yep (laughs) he was just circling around so yeah I came and uh it was uh into the hockey world and uh but you know what it's kind of interesting in life like you back here Mm -hmm. behind the mic sometimes I think when you have things in life that you're pulled to or big picture maybe even destined for it they just keep pulling you back right Right. and uh so I ended up helping out on football and I never really strayed that uh that that far it just kept uh pulling me back but what was it like I mean, Calgary versus Edmonton. I mean, those teams were about to get good in Calgary, but you know, you come from Edmonton, you know, the expectation was success, a bigger building, a football building. It just, to your point, it never seemed like the hair was on fire. And 2008 was kind of the first time in a while, you know, Wally would probably argue because they won in, in 2001. But, you know, for a good portion there, that, that that's, this franchise in this city was a, was a laughingstock, to be perfectly honest. What, what were your observations of the two organizations? Well, I think at the time Calgary had just gone through, like it was it was awful, mm-hmm. right? But I think in the CFL, actually, probably any kind of organization, once you like once John Huffnagel came in, that mm-hmm. the, and I'm forgetting the exact year, but it, like that once we had that piece in, then the whole thing could start to be rebuilt, right? right? And I think that was the thing. I mean, Henry Burris was they they had some great. Great players. Uh, when I came down, uh, Nick Lewis and Jermaine Copeland. Nick, 
Nick said that I hated him. Yeah. I have no idea why he said that, but he, Nick thought I hated him. And every time we'd go into the locker room, he'd be like, you hate me. Why are you down here covering me? But, uh, but, uh, in the, because, uh, yeah, Nick and Jermaine would go up to Edmonton and I think they had some interesting end zone act antics. And they some, did. And they some did. like that. I, so. I loved it. And it used to drive certain people up in Edmonton nuts. And I love that even more. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. The, the league sports are better with, with bad guys. Better with villains, better with people wearing black hats. And I thought that era of the the Tom Higgins era and into the Huffnail kind of did away with it. But that Tom Higgins era, the, the Stampeders had no problem going into your yard and kicking your dog. Oh, without a doubt. And Jermaine and Nick, like they, that team had a personality, right? right? Like right. even Henry in his own way. Oh, Henry right? Henry was the most put upon person in the history of the world. Like everybody was out to get Henry. That's And I love the man, don't get me wrong, but Henry was always... A victim, right? Like nobody likes me, nobody likes us. We're and and that's how he approached it, which worked for him. That was the way he. Yeah, that, that was one thing I learned in ath- in sports is that everyone is motivated differently. Yes. Like if Mike Pringle was not angry, the running back for yep. Montreal and Edmonton, if he was not angry going into a football game, he was going to have a horrible game. Right. He needed to be angry, yeah. and Nick and Jermaine kind of were that. But you know, the evolution of Nick over the years was interesting Something because else, eh? because he turned into. So when I covered him in the beginning, he was um, he was this skinny little. Uh, receiver mm-hmm. who ended what was it Shannon Garrett's like he 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 there was a bad hit in yep. Edmonton and he ended the guy's career right yep. and uh he was con- just seen as this villain but as time went on and now look at him right like he's uh so it was interesting evolution and I think now I think he said to me at the end um that I he knows I don't hate him so I was there when he wore the, I think it was an Eric Francis column on his back. He taped it to his back and yeah. he came out in practice. I, mean, I remember that. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was, just, it was, it was, uh, it was always, uh, always something interesting. With Were you guys. there when Ricky Williams came? Um, the big scrum with Ricky Williams in I Calgary. Was. Yeah, I was. Yeah. There was, you know, there was, I don't know why it was that period of time, but there was some crazy stuff that, you know, the league saw and players coming through and it just seems so foreign now. Right. Yeah, and I mean, just crazy. Like, John Avery in Edmonton was one of the best yeah. quotes I've ever, like, just such interesting yeah. uh, people. And, yeah, it was it was always just so much, so much, so much fun. Right, right. Um, all right, but you did move here for hockey. You do cover the NHL. This is the first go-round, or did you, did you back up in Edmonton, too? No, that was my, it was my first go-round. Okay. But yeah, so it was covering the team that I used to, you know, cut out all the, all sure. the articles. Steve Simmons, as well, I used to. Sure. Too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a, I can't, it was a chance to do my dream job. And you step in, Bertuzzi's here. I believe that's Keenan's. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was Keenan. Yeah, 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 it was. And that yeah. you can you draw many parallels between Mike Keenan and and uh, you know and other guys in the CFL, CFL. I mean, Don Matthews comes to mind. Like, I I can draw parallels between Mike Keenan's reputation and and Don Matthews, but at the same time, Mike Iron Mike when I was covering him wasn't really Iron anymore. Like he was, um, yeah, fair enough. Like I just to me I didn't see a ton of that that edge. I saw a guy who was a bit you know Hanging further on, on in his te- in yeah. his career and he wasn't there and I think there was the one time at practice where he uh, I don't know if it was TSN but the cameras caught him slamming his stick against the boards and that was like 
Um, Iron Mike's back. Yeah, Iron Mike's back. But even then, because I think I was sitting in the stands with you that day, it felt a little bit forced. scripted yeah. and forced. And so, yeah. yeah, I don't think Iron was that Iron when I <laughs> when I um, when I when I covered him. He, I, I just found with Mike Keenan that towards the end, he did a lot of storytelling and a lot, of, and which I thought was more intended to kind of build the, or maintain the reputation, not build the reputation, but he would tell us stories about him and Pat Croce in, in, uh, in, in Philadelphia and how they invented certain things. And, and remember the, the playing the winger on the offside, I stole that from lacrosse. And we went and measured the corners in Maple Leaf Gardens and found out they were square and stuff like that. There was a lot of storytelling with Mike, right? Yeah, I got to cover the 1972 Summit Series 50th anniversary last year for CBC, and it was interesting. I didn't talk to Mike, but I read some of his quotes about that, and it was like telling all the stories about the yeah. olden days, and that is actually what I remember about covering him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, people would always be like, what's he like? And I'm like, well, he's polite enough. <laughs> <laughs> he is what he is. Um, thoughts on, on the transition? I mean, were the, the players weren't the same. They just, they aren't. Right, the the access is okay, but the players, I I just never, I felt like you could always go to a CFL practice, talk to a player, and come up with gold, always. But that you were hoping for that when you went to cover the Flames or the NHL. Yeah, I actually found it a lot harder. Like, um, yeah, actually, I was uh, doing a class at State yesterday, and we were talking to Bev Wake, who used to work in Vancouver, mm-hmm. who was the sure. the editor out for the Vancouver Sun, and then for Post Media and Sports. And we, were, she said that she thought for story ideas, that the hardest thing would be if you were covering a beat. And I would say not CFL. There's always stories and interesting people, but the NHL, the rosters are smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are so careful what they. They say, I, I hope it's changing a little bit, but, you know, the idea was to be as ordinary as possible and not say much. You know, I admit that I used to think Mark Giordano was a bad quote. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a bad quote. Like, he never really said anything. And then I can't remember which year it was. He'd been around for a couple of years, and uh, we were in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And Kippersoff, I think it stopped, I don't know, 55 shots or something. They still lost, right? Like, he, yeah, like as he, they do in Detroit at that era. Yeah, had had just had, like, this incredible game. And I remember Mark, we were asking for players and nobody was around. And, and Peter comes out, or Sean Kelso comes out with Mark. And he's like, we just hung our goalie out to dry. And he's like, you know, we can't play like that and everything. And, and to me, it was like, who is this person? Yeah. And it was like Mark had hit, like it was very deliberate. It was Mark had hit the point that he had been around long enough and was playing well enough that now he felt that he could, yep. he could, he could speak. And, and in the end, I think Mark's an outstanding quote. And he, he's, and he's a very he interesting is. man. But, it, but, but I wonder if that isn't the, the code, right? I'm, I'm never, I, I never, outside of offensive linemen not wanting to talk, you yeah. know, you, you really, everybody would talk. But I almost find like, with the NHL player that I've got to be in it. You know, Michael Backlund was always good, but to a point. And now, you know, is there a better interview on this team than Michael Backlund right now? No, there isn't. No, I right? think like Michael, yeah, Michael was always good, but careful. Right. And Michael, what, what he would do is he would talk and he would be saying something interesting and then he would stop. Mm-hmm. And it was like he was stopping himself out of respect, right? He was playing on the same team as Jerome McGinley, Alex mm-hmm. Tongay. Like he, he would... He would uh, stop himself, for sure. Corey Sarich was an amazing quote. He was. Yeah, like, Corey was amazing. We we got a uh, fully formed Corey Sarich, right? Yeah, he was, yeah, Corey was was fantastic. I mean, we're not going to talk about Conroy, that goes without saying. 
right? That we don't have to. But you know what? Craig is a bit like John Garrett because the first day I walked into the Saddle Dome and I'm scared and I, I, I feel like I shouldn't even be there, he walks up and says, hi, my name's Craig Conroy. Yep. How are you today? And, you know, never any errors or never any no. anything. And, you know, it's people like that who... He could have been a CFL player. Yeah, he could have <laughs> done your job. He could. He, he has done my job and better. Um, <laughs> you, I'm just trying to think, were you there when Curtis Joseph came? Do you remember that scrum? I was not, I don't think. 42 people in that scrum. So yeah. that was Keenan's last year, right? Because was it? Yeah. Why don't I remember that? I'm not sure. It was huge. It was just huge. And it was, he just played in the Spangler Cup, was off for a couple of weeks, and then the Flames signed him. There was lots of speculation of where he was going to go. Flames signed him. And I remember there's 42 people in that, in that scrum. That's crazy. Cameramen and reporters and everything like that. And the other one um, was, you mentioned Backlund. You remember when uh, uh, Lanco got hurt? Oh, and my goodness. Backlund, I do, I... as the rookie, was going to center Aginlan Tongay. Yep. And that was the biggest story in the, the history of stories, right? And that, that's one time his eyes were wide. Yeah. Oh, I remember being on the plane, you know, Lanco was injured and we were very, yeah. very, very worried about him. That was in Minnesota. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's in, normally the print people would not, be, we didn't fly the, with the team and we would kind of be behind on what things were going. But I flew on the same flight back. Okay. With uh, Damon and I remember he had the brace on and he was sitting very Oof. straight and I am like, are you Okay. How are you? I'm fine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was probably the longest Damon Lankow interview ever right yeah, there. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> um, what do you, you also, as we go through this journey, should mention Olympics, right? Yeah. How many Olympics did you cover? I think it was six. Six. So three and three or? Uh, I think four and two. Four, four and two. two. Yeah, okay. four winters, two, two summers. What was that? As uh, that's a different experience. That's almost like different work, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that like that's a peak career experience. I okay. think that any like the, and it's addictive. Like it's like you know when I said I was the one who walked in, I didn't want the nine to five job, and I wanted to be going. Well, <laughs> you go to an Olympics, it's uh, twenty one days of just going nonstop and going from you know huge event to huge event and. You know, if you're covering track in Rio, like there's Andre de Grasse, but there's Usain Bolt and like, it, like it's almost too, too much too it's, it's the problem is it's in this very short period of time, right. but, and you have this little pass around your neck with an infinity sign, which means you can go to every event. You can go anywhere at the Olympics and just walk in. And, uh, like, I think if you could spread that out across your whole life, it would be, yeah, no kidding. It would right? be, it would be amazing as opposed to bang, 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 bang. But yeah. And then when you went from the winter Olympics to the summer Olympics, that's the other thing, because like the winter Olympics we think are big, but you know, mo- mo- most of the world is not a no. winter, winter country. No. Like when you go into the summer Olympics and then you're sitting in that press center and that's like uh when you were talking about best on best with yeah. uh with eric, with eric, eric like, yeah. it, like all of a sudden you're sitting with the best all the best journalists in the world you've got you know all the ones from fleet street uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know christine brennan sitting over over yeah. there and yeah so uh but you know what that was almost to me i loved those things and i talked to them about my journalism students is find heroes in whatever it mm-hmm. is that you do and find people that you look up to and, yeah. and try to be like them yeah okay open door who were they for you 
Oh, I had, uh, I tried to take different things from different people, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I dreamed of writing like an Ian McIntyre, but I, I never, I, I didn't quite have that or a Bruce Arthur. Um, I thought Cam Cole did a great way. Like I thought he was he, like, you could always start his column and get to the end. And it felt like it took 30 seconds when really yeah. it was 900 words. Uh, so I just really liked his turn of Turn of, turn of phrase yeah. and the way that he he did things. I thought Al Mackey hmm. was very fair always and like just he like he in terms of context and what does this mean and balance and like clear you when you talk to Al Mackey, he's just very clear headed. Yes. And he writes very, very clear. I I, I wish more people not understood it. I think everybody knows what you're talking about, but it, it frustrates me now that I seem to whenever I seem to follow teams or whatever you've the journalists seem to almost be possessive. And I'm, I kind of miss that, you know, it's not my team. I'm just covering the story here, right? You know? Oh, very much so, yeah. Like, and, that's and how Al I was, was taught. Yeah. yeah, and Al was, you know, Al could write on anything. You, Absolutely You anything. never accuse him of anything. No, and Al could go, like, Al could move in and cover, I think he did. He could cover a court case just as well as he could cover, like, he was. He did, uh, you're right. Absolutely exceptional. So, and, you know, then I would watch uh, Christy Blatchard and I actually became very good friends mm -hmm. over the years. At first, she terrified me. <laughs> uh, but, but you know what, Christy, one thing Christy taught me was to believe in myself. Yeah. Because she would uh, tell me, she'd be like, you know what the story is. Don't ask what the story is. You know, like, you Yep. You know. And so, yeah, I think Christy taught me how to believe in myself. It's crazy. I think about some of the personalities you were around. Uh, large up in Edmonton, Terry Jones, oh, right? Oh, big fella. He he knew the, like, he knew the story. He he always, he would go, uh, was a big picture. He'd always go, like, he wanted to write the big picture, yeah. right? And yeah. he, and the other thing is, I've never seen anyone set the agenda as much as he did. Like, he would walk in and he, whatever he asked the question about was the story. That's the a really good way to put it, put it, yeah. He, and what I respect about him, and there was, there, and I don't think there are anymore, but. Talk about a guy that could jump into the middle of anything. Was oh, yeah. just as comfortable doing the Stanley Cup as he was the World Figure Skating Champions or the CFL or the NFL or whatever. I mean, the last of the true sports reporter without a beat, right? Yeah, he was amazing. And he, like, I competed against him for years and he yeah. made me better. He beat me a lot. Yeah. Uh, I covered uh, a lot with him in Beijing at the Olympics. We were technically competitors, but... It was very hot, surprise, surprise, in Beijing mm -hmm. and humid. And uh, Jonesy was struggling a little bit and uh, health-wise. And I remember we got caught in a monsoon on the way to soccer, and we all got drenched. <laughs> Jeff Blair was there, too. He, he was, it was, but Jonesy ended up having pneumonia. Oh, wow. And we didn't know that. So, yeah. But we were, like, super. I remember we were watching him after climbing four or five stairs at soccer, and we, we didn't know if we Think were going to get him, him out. Yeah. Uh, he's, I, I kind of admit, and, and it'd be remiss if I didn't, and you mentioned once, well, you mentioned a couple of them. George Johnson, there has to be some recognition for George Johnson and his ability to have his voice in your head when you're reading his articles and his references that were, to some may have gone right over their head, but if you knew them, man, they were bang. Oh, like George... Uh his writing is an art. 
Like it's a, it's an art and like his, his similes and his metaphor. Like I, I try to do that, but I can't like mine are, mine are off. So I, I try, but his, his simile and metaphor, incredible. The other thing is, is you'd sit next to George and I remember Memorial Cup with him in Regina the one year and he's sitting there and he's typing and he's like, this is terrible. (laughs) This is horrible. This is crap. And, and, and it would, it would keep going like that. And then the more he said that, the more the piece you read next day, you were like, this is the best thing I've ever read. Yeah. Yeah. The more how terrible he said it was. No, he was into, he he loved being the character. Like he loved being the character of George Johnson. Like he, that was a character for him. Yeah, you but know. yeah, just amazing. Yeah, just amazing talent. Like, just you know, what if you have an offensive playmaker who's like, I can't believe you can do that. Yeah, that's what I feel like reading George Johnson's columns. And I think they're both really good writers. I mean, one hasn't been writing for a long time, but both Jean and uh, Scott Crookshank, you could tell the influence. Uh, but they took it their own way. Like ba- they both took it their own way. Yeah, yeah. Bear, but- Bear Scott Crookshank is to me. It bothers me that. You know, and, and no disrespect to Julian McKenzie or anybody at the Athletic, but I thought it was a huge miss for them when they dropped him because he he can write in stories. His story on Tyler Parsons and his concussion was as, as fine as sports writing uh, that I've read in the last decade. Oh, Scott is amazing. Like he he's got his own voice. He has some George influence, I think, but he has his sure own he voice. Uh, he you know he was a star at the Medicine Hat News a million years ago. Uh, his writing, the other thing about Scott is he writes this beautiful stuff. He could file something 30 seconds after deadline because I also did some editing. Mm-hmm. Not one error. Not one error. Like, it was absolutely, so, like, once again, you know, just a beautiful turn of phrase. His Mickey Renault piece, if I remember yes, correctly, when, when was, Mickey like, passed away, yes. was, like, absolutely yeah. incredible. So, yeah, he was, you know, there was uh, definitely an all-star team of uh, sports journalists when I came down to Calgary. Do you miss it? Yeah, I miss, uh, like, uh, you know, once it's one of those things that keeps pulling me back. Like, I, you know, I had a little boy, and... Uh, he, as you don't you have know, a little boy. You have a little superstar in Asia. But he has uh, autism, and uh, you know, I it I di- I didn't know that he had autism, but I knew that he was going to need everything I had, and yeah. so I I pulled out and uh, worked in communications um, because I wanted a regular job. But this has always kind of kept pulling me back. I've mm-hmm. done a lot of freelance work for CBC and hockey. And so I, I've never, you know, the the day I left the Calgary Herald, uh, Jose Rodriguez, because the son and the Herald were together at that time, um, he ran into, we ran into each other in the hallway and he's like, hey, Vicky, you know, he was making some smart remark. And I turned around and looked at him and he's like, oh my God, give me a hug. And I sobbed all over his suede jacket. Like for me, it was one of the hardest things I've was ever it? done. And I was just, but I, I felt like it was the right thing for my family. Yeah. But it, you know, sometimes things just keep pulling you back. And so I feel like I, I still have a, a hand in it, but, um, and, and now that I teach journalism, I, I kind of feel like I might get more involved at some point. My four and a half out when I was retired, you know, when I retired, uh, I missed, I missed the story. Like I missed, cause I'd hear something, I go, Oh, that's the story. Right. Or it's coming. Here's the story that's coming. I, I, I miss that. And a couple of times, you know, on a Sunday morning, you and I'll just, you know, did you hear what Daryl said? Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm, you know, 
old habits die hard. What this right? is the story here. And I like, I see it all the time. Like, and I, I like, Oh, they're missing this or what about yeah. that? You know, what yeah. about that? And why hasn't anyone asked this? And like, you know, yeah. I, I can't, I can't uh, turn that uh, part of my, no. my head off. No, it's the hardest part. Um, any of the stories right now that you'd like to get something off your chest about? I mean, the local hockey heroes are dysfunctional, I think is the right term. Uh, the league has a, a kind of a self, in, in, you know, in, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you'd cry. Their, their whole, the NHL whole pride issue is self-inflicted, I think. Um, you know, you got some great Canadian soccer drama right now. I mean, it's a busy world right now in the world of sport, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, like, I'm very interested, like everybody else is, to see how the Flames, you know, what well, happens how, in the yeah, offseason. Yeah, like, yeah. If, if you if I could come in off the bench on uh, <laughs> locker room cleanup day, garbage bag day, I, I would like, that's a garbage bag day I would like to attend for for uh, for, for sure. And, uh, yeah, there's always, come, but you know what? The other thing is, is one of the things that I took the most joy about was some of the stories that people never saw. So it would be like mm-hmm. with our, you know, all the Olympians who try train in Calgary and, uh, you know, and also a lot of the work that you're doing with, uh, you know, that people don't realize at, at an amateur, at an amateur level. So that's the other thing is, is, uh, I think as you get older, maybe some of your priorities change and maybe oh, what you think, sure. what you think the story is might change. Too. Yeah. No, I mean, there's that, con- that whole conversation about, you know, ever since the Quebec league and I knew it was coming because I knew it, behind the scenes, it was talked about during COVID that they were going to get the bailout money from the government, but the government was going to make them, take the one thing on the radar was they were going to take fighting out of the game or make them take fighting out of the game. So here we are. And, you know, we were having that whole conversation. I mean, that was my thing when I came to Calgary. I remember that. Yeah. Right. It was my thing. And then I went and saw Chris Nowinski speak on head trauma and head issues and, and concussions. And, you know, I've taken the, the, the uh, reporting course and everything like that. And it just changed my life. It changed my mind. Right. Like, yeah. I worked on a series on concussions bef- uh, in 20. 20- 15 yeah uh youth concussions Mm -hmm. and uh it actually won a national newspaper award which was probably one of the highlights of my career but that was about and it was based on a young woman in in ottawa who who died after repeated and and there was no concussion protocols what was the sport that was uh rugby rugby okay yeah Yeah. and she she just kept playing because she felt that that was what she was supposed to do and the story we worked on was it was a part of a team but it was about how there were no regulations at that level like Mm -hmm. at at Mm -hmm. all but one thing uh that i find now is if i watch a hockey fight and sometimes i've thought it's the mom and me but i don't know is that if i watch it i feel guilty for watching it because I watch and I'm like, that's somebody's son. Yep. That's that's a real person yep. there, and and we don't know what the impacts are. So to me, I think that at some point in time, society might tip over to that they right. get, that we can't go back. All right. Um, all right. A couple of rapid fire to to, to finish us off here, um, and we're going to have you back on. I just I can't not have you back on. But um, best player you ever covered in the CFL for you? Sorry, best player. For you as a reporter that you ever covered in the CFL? Oh, Ed Hervey, for sure. He's something else. Ed Ed Hervey was so intelligent. And, you know, he also knew how to look at the whole picture all along. He came from Compton and, uh, you know, he saw a lot of things. So, yeah, yeah, Ed Hervey. What was the best game you ever covered in the CFL? That was 2009 Grey Cup. 
when Saskatchewan too many men, too many men and here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to say that's the best game, but it was the most dramatic game and, and sure. going in yeah, that, yeah. Lo- going in that locker room after, and, you know, watching how different people process grief was amazing. Well, and to me, exactly. Cause I guess the way I phrase that to an athlete, when I ask an athlete retires, you know, when you close your eyes and, and you hit the pillow, what's the game that you remember? That, that to me is the game you remember, right? Because yeah. of, it was over. Like, it, was yeah, it was honest to God over. And, and it was really going to create a narrative around Anthony Calvillo and the, uh, and the Alouettes that they, they, yeah, they ran away in the regular season for a decade, did nothing. Yep. Right? It, it changed so much. I was, yeah, it was just being in that visitor room and like what it, that would have meant to Saskatchewan and just the shock people were in. Yeah. And like, like there yeah. were players vomiting, they were crying, they were screaming. Some were just quiet, just like in life. Mm-hmm. You know, something bad happens. How do you react? Yeah. They're all different. Yeah. Uh, either sport or any of them, but what was, what was the best part of, of the job? What, what was the part that was the best part of the job? Well, I bet you everyone says this, but it's the people. It was the people who I worked with and covered. I mean, like it was, I it was such a privilege to tell people's stories. Mm-hmm. But what I learned is, it does. I'm looking at some of the jerseys that you have uh, up here and things yeah. like that. It doesn't matter what your name is, how much money you make, uh, how many people cheer for you. You're still human, mm-hmm. right? And I learned that people have, you know, they. They, they have breakups, they have problems with their family, they have happy days, they, you know, they have, you know, one day Jerome McGinley came over and helped me clean off my windshield, right? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're, uh, they're, they're very human. And I say, so to me, I think getting to be around so many highly successful, intriguing humans was the best part. See, I, for me, it was the, the travel part in the sense of being able to see the sports that I covered in other places with other contexts and the example i always give is nashville because it was so easy to pick on nashville it's a southern state gary's mess it's never going to work there why would they go to nashville and then the first time you go to nashville you go oh okay no i get it oh people love it like in nashville i was actually talking to my son's teacher yesterday because she's going to nashville on spring break and i was like in nashville is so the people are so friendly they love hockey they've learned about hockey. oh boy don't say that they're uneducated no they know they know a lot you got a high school program hell most of the teams in calgary go down to a tournament in nashville it's become a tournament hub for youth hockey and things like that so to me that was you know i I agree with you the people and and that is, is something but you know and, and you've done it. It's getting outside of your own world and seeing the rest of it and putting that context into, into sport, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you said to me, what's your favorite part of covering the Canadian Football League specifically? It was going to all, learning so much about my own country. Okay. And sitting in okay. Hamilton and watching a game with the Steel Mills and climbing up the mountain at McGill and, and yeah. watching in Toronto and, and the people who do come to those games. And then in Winnipeg, watching the passion people have for it. And then Saskatchewan, the obsession they have for right. it, right? Right. Like it, it's, it's, uh, it was, it was a, it was a great education in, in what in Canada, really. Are you worried about the CFL at all? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, like, but the thing is, it's a constant. Like I was thinking about the other day, like you know, when have I not been worried about the the CFL? Yeah, I I worry about this international direction. I'm not a fan of it, and uh, and I worry that the pandemic damaged the CFL more than others because it was just completely off. So. 
I worry about them, but the the comfort I take is that we're always worried about them, and they always seem like they're going to collapse. So, could you live through you? Did you live through the U.S. expansion? Well, I was a fan at that time. Okay, but you know what? It, it was, was just after though, right? It was really interesting because we were talking about Larry Smith, yeah, and yeah. Uh, him going into the Football Hall of Fame. And people were saying, well, how could he go in the Hall of Fame because he was the commissioner during U.S. expansion? Mm -hmm. But Wally was saying, you know, so that, like, would the league have survived without it? Like, I mean, we can sit back now and say, that's ridiculous. Shreveport, are you kidding? But the infusion of cash kept the league alive. So, you know, there you go. Like it's yeah. uh, like, it, and once again, that's the context of a story as opposed to just the, and maybe that's the thing on Twitter these days, people make opinions like, and I, I can too. And just immediately and say, Oh, I feel really strongly about this and mm-hmm. not read the entire piece and see, well, that's why they did it. I want to end this with you talking about your favorite athlete and the impact that he's had on you and me um, I know you was in many forms, but I also know you as a hockey mom, which I'm really excited about. And you know me as the guy chasing you off the bench. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, <laughs> every Sunday, every Sunday. But tell me about AJ, and tell me about what it's the, just the joy that he brings you because he brings us so much joy. Well, um, uh, when uh, my son, um, he was just before his fifth birthday, he was diagnosed with autism and, uh, that was one of the hard days of my life. And, um, I was in this appointment with this psychologist and she said, she was talking about, she was great. She was telling me about all what his challenges were going to be. And she's been bang on. And one of the challenges she said, she goes, your son's going to struggle in unstructured social situations because he doesn't pick it up naturally. She goes, she was like, so on the school bus at recess and she goes in the hockey dressing room, not that he'll ever play hockey. And she didn't know my background at all, but I remember kind of, you know, feeling like I was punched, but then moving on right away that Mm -hmm. we were dealing with a lot. And we'd be, I live in the South and we'd be down at Trico and I would walk past the, where they were, Timbits were playing and I would, uh, I would feel bad. And then I'd feel guilty for feeling bad because I love my son as he is. Yeah. But then during the pandemic, Kevin, the phone rang one day and he said, uh, you know, we have a spot for your son to play hockey. And I said, well, I don't know if my son can play hockey. He's got sound sensitivity and this and that. And he's no, no, no. You're, we want your son to come play hockey uh, with superheroes. And um, we play on Sundays and, you know, he was giving me all the details. And um, he said, uh, uh, your son is a hockey player. And I didn't know this guy, and I burst into tears. <laughs> I burst into tears. So uh, so he is a hockey player. He plays every Sunday, and, uh, you know, it's just such a safe, caring environment. My son's, struggle, uh, my son's talents are that he's um, a great talker, and oh. he's e- expressive, and he's passionate, and he, it's all on display. Sometimes those things can make things challenging. Yep. So, uh, but it's a safe place for everybody, and uh, it's to me, it's been the mo- the most rewarding thing I've been around in sports. He's also a ringette player. He does play ringette. And yeah. what else? Lacrosse. He plays. Yeah, he plays lacrosse. He's going to play challenger baseball this uh, this year, and uh, yeah, he loves all of it. But he wants to be an announcer. Oh yeah. So he wa- or a ref. He wants to be a ref because he wants to tell people what to do. Yeah. And he wants to be an announcer because he thinks he might be good at it. Well, because um, he doesn't toot his own horn. I'm going to toot it. Uh, Kevin Hodgson, who's the D for ho- Heroes Hockey and Superheroes, found that out and arranged for a, an opportunity. Tell us a little bit about AJ at the Flames game this year. 
Yeah, so AJ got to be the fire starter, and that's, you know, the kid who yells, make some noise. Um, and uh, then Now, remember, you said, there he is right there. Uh, you said, oh, no, you don't have the monitor, right? But <laughs> okay. I can confirm that is your son, AJ. Um, but he's, he has sound sensitivity, right? Oh, yeah, like a year before when I talked about Trico, like we took him over to Trico to just to kind of practice to s- skate. And we had to leave immediately because of the sound of the pucks right. hitting the boards. Like it, we couldn't really go anywhere. And the pandemic made that worse sure. because we didn't get to practice. Like Chinook Mall, nightmare. Yeah. Like anything like that. So so uh, the idea of him going to the Dome. Oh, we wouldn't and- go to the Dome. Like we went to, before he was diagnosed, uh, we went to a Hitman game one day and it was awful. Like, you know, every time like the horn or anything. So, but you know, it was like hockey, superheroes hockey was kind of our gateway. And you know, the other thing is we've had a lot of support through the community, through FSCD, family support for children with disabilities. And, uh, so he just gradually, his world got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so then Kevin asked if he could come to the saddle dome for this. And I was like, well, I don't know, but kids up front gave him a ticket to go to a hitman game. And that was a success. So I was like, okay, my confidence started to grow, but I was still really scared cared about the game yeah uh and we went and uh at the end of the third period they had him go up there and uh i can't, he he didn't want to wear his headphones he like he's which got he the, would normally yeah right? he would he yeah. didn't want to wear them and we went up uh and uh right before he was supposed to say his thing his lips started to quiver and he was looking at this and so i was in the background i'm like you can do it you can do it and he did an amazing job. He, uh, I was so, so proud of him. And, and you know what, that was a, that was a confidence builder. And when you think a year ago, he could, a year prior, he could not go into Trico for anyone knows, which is a, just a community rink. Uh, it was incredible. It's the power of sport. It is the power of sport. It's a power of being part of a team. It's a part of the, just getting together and by the way, we had a picture of AJ up in the fire. Now, he came back, too. We should point out that he went back for the overtime, too, right? They brought him back. Well, the story is is that somehow we we got the tickets from the Flames, but they couldn't find us. But anyway, so that we, <laughs> we almost didn't make it there. So we were at, but, but, yeah, so he went, and then uh, they Grant uh, asked him to come back for the overtime because he mm-hmm. uh, Grant was blown away. Grant knew what AJ's situation sure. was. And, and, uh, and as I said, he's just an engaging kid. Like, we went to McDonald's last night, and we going through drive through and he says mom open the window and he says to the, the woman at the drive through i just want you to know that i'm the biggest fan of your restaurant <laughs> and all of us who know aj know we, we could hear that in his voice right now because yep. he's an amazing kid i just again pointing out if it wasn't for aj young damien is doing it tomorrow in the san jose game and damien came to superheroes last year and was just didn't talk and we've we proved, or we, Kevin proved with AJ that he could do it, and now Damien's going to do it tomorrow. So you got to let AJ know that he was a trailblazer here, right? And I can't say it enough. This is the power of sport. I guess I would say, like, I didn't understand sound sensitivity before I yeah. had a child with autism. I, I, I don't know if I didn't think it was real, but I didn't get it. But for Damien, who didn't speak, and now he's speaking, I know a lot of Flames fans are not happy right now mm-hmm. and might feel like booing things. But if, if you can stay yeah. until he gets to do it and cheer, uh, like that would mean a lot because that to me is the victory. You know, there's a big grudge match on Sunday morning, eh? Are you aware oh, of this? Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah. 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 So the superheroes last ice session of the year, 
and the Flames alumni are playing both the superheroes team. AJ has skated with the alumni before, and one particular member of the alumni, I believe, uh, helped him score a goal, or he helped Yeah, Lanny McDonald helped him (laughs) score his uh, first goal goal ever. And, you know, like, I come from the school of Al Mackey. You don't cheer for teams when you're covering them. Or stuff like that, like and and I used to try not to, yeah, 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 like yeah, be yeah. you know get yeah, yeah, yeah. get into this here. But when Lanny McDonald was sitting in the dressing room with my son after the game, I sat there and bawled. I don't know if you saw me, but I was. <laughs> I, uh, did, I think but... you've seen me ball a few times. <laughs> but, uh, definitely, you've seen me cry a few times. I have, I, I but just, it's the... I just sat there I'm and fine. Cried. Like, but I've learned actually now that that's okay. Yes, like just let it happen. Hundred percent. If you're, if, you're, if you're so moved by something, you're going to cry. Just cry. Hundred percent. Um. Thank you. You'll do this again? Oh, yeah, and thanks so much for having me. And you know what? I was thinking about it. I actually think my first radio interview ever might have been with you. On a show called Just, Just the, game. the Game. I think Up it in was. Edmonton, right? I think it was 20-something years yes, ago. Yes, it absolutely was. 100% yeah. it was. Yeah, so it's great to be back, and thanks for having me. No problem. Congratulations. Thank I mean, you. it's so awesome that you're going in. And uh, I, 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 I just want to speak to your influence on me. Um, I'm better at this because of you. It was we were rookies together, and I was wide-eyed, and I knew you knew that you were what you were doing. So I was listening to you, and you and Joanne Ireland had a huge impact on me when I was up in Edmonton. So I want to thank you for that. And we've been you know friends and colleagues ever since. But for you to go in, you're going in because of the impact, the writing, but also the impact you had on us, the, your peers. So thank you for that. Thank you, and I look forward to you kicking me off the bench on Sunday. Oh, I will do that with a plum. <laughs> Thank you, Vicky. Vicky Hall, everybody. Kind enough to join us. All right, final mile. Um, speaking of superheroes, join us tomorrow. We're going to be at Parachutes for Pets. So it's not enough that our kids get out and, and play hockey, but they, they give out and get back to the community. So we got a bunch of our superheroes kids helping out Parachutes for Pets. We're going to be at Deer Valley. It's a stuff-a-truck event. I think Gavin's going to throw up the graphic here if he's got it in a second. Uh, from 1 to 4 o'clock tomorrow, we'll have our jerseys on. We're helping them. Uh, we're looking for cat litter, soft and dry cat food, soft and dry dog food, uh, new and, and uh, dog toys and cat toys. So if you can help us, uh, come down. I would love to see you 42 of 21 Canyon Meadows Drive Southwest Superheroes and uh, Parachutes for Pets. That's tomorrow. If you like, the grudge match does go on Sunday. It's Max Bell 2. One game at 8.30, one game at 9.30. Uh, believe number nine is playing. And actually, hockey legend Perry Barazan's playing too. So oh, what a amazing. what a thrill for the kids, eh? Yeah, that's, <laughs> what that's, a thrill that's, for that's the amazing. kids. Yeah. Perry Barazan's going to be there. And the last one I want to leave you with, we announced it a couple weeks ago, Project Ref with Kidsport Calgary. Um, I just want to update you on the success. This Sunday, 10 kids sport kids are attending a Soccer Calgary referee clinic. They are starting their journey to become referees and also earn a little money on this side. And also, eight new sports have come forward to kids sport to talk about wanting to get kids sport kids the opportunity to become officials in basketball and, and baseball, so umpires, even swimming and things like that. So Project Ref is off to a great start. It's the opportunity to give kids sport families a little bit more income by having their kids participate and give back to sports. So really, really proud of that. Uh, thanks to Gavin. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to you. Um, the big issue right now in uh, in hockey uh, for many of us is the, the pride issue. I, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast on Wednesday. Bain Pettinger was here from uh, the Alpha 
Bet Sports Collective, and I thought he had probably the best take I've heard on this. Enjoy your weekend. We're back with you on Monday. Andrew McBride, yes, that Andrew McBride. It's come to this. I'm now meeting guests in the line at Starbucks. And uh, Andrew McBride's going to come in. Ryan Pike will be here. Cami Kepke on Wednesday along with Marco Carducci. And one week from today, our big WrestleMania 39 show. Oh, I can't wait to tell you the details of that bad boy next week. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. To every code Then there's a conversation You can join But I'm an old dog And there's new tricks And some of my opinions You just can't fix Cause I'm an old man Yelling at the sky I'ma shake my fist at the clouds And cry 